I've just been looking over your arrest report. A very unusual piece of police work. Really amazing. Yeah, well, I had some luck. You're lucky I'm not indicting you for assault with intent to commit murder. What? Where the hell does it say you've got a right to kick down doors, torture suspects, deny medical attention and legal counsel? Where have you been? Does Escobedo ring a bell? Miranda? I mean, you must have heard of the Fourth Amendment. What I'm saying is that man had rights. Well, I'm all broken up about that man's rights. You should be. I've got news for you, Callahan. As soon as he's well enough to leave the hospital, he walks. What are you talking about? He's free. And you're letting him go? We have to. We can't try him. And why is that? Because I'm not wasting a half a million dollars of the taxpayers' money on a trial we can't possibly win. This is Judge Bannerman of the Appellate Court. He also holds classes in constitutional law at Berkeley. I've asked him for an opinion. Your Honor? Now, the suspect's rights were violated under the Fourth and Fifth and probably the Sixth and Fourteenth Amendments. I've got a wife and three kids. I don't want him on the streets any more than you do. Well, he won't be out there long. Seven minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and this the month of uh, October, in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the flushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970. The talker, this, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy and comedic amusement. It is 503-733-2970. If you'd like to join us today, it is Thursday, and welcome to Day 12. It's 503 503- 733 If you'd like to uh, weigh in with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, two cents, ruminations, ponderings, musings, kvetches, kvetches, whatever you might have. Shrieks and wailings of an anguished nature. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, Richard Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, or the mundane. A little fun fact. I don't know how old Richie is. I think Richie's 30... Mid-30s? Richie's in his mid-30s. Rochelle, however, 31. There you go. This is like in case you're playing the home game. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. If you'd like to join us today, you can also email. It is rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. You would like to uh, weigh in in whatever fashion. Here's what's coming up today. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins will join us from... In the hill? I don't even know where she is today. Hold on. She'll join us from... Yes, uh, from Washington, D.C. Uh, so we're going to skip right to the bottom of the page with her and talk about last night's debate. Let's see what else. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum will be joining us today from New York City. We will talk to uh, Oregonian TV critic and drunk Peter Carlin, who is right here, right here in this chair last night. This chair about two feet to my right, Peter Carlin sat in this chair, dispensing wit as only he can. 
So we'll talk about last night's debate and last night's debate commentary uh, in a moment. What else is coming up today? Glorious Bastard of the Week. It could be you. I mean, statistically speaking, it's probably not, but it could be. So I hold the Glorious Bastard of the Week right here in my hand. We'll announce that later on today. Uh, Britney Watch coming up today. Geek Watch coming up today. A snuff watch, which I guess is sort of sad, except I figured this guy was already dead. I did, too. Didn't you think he was dead? Long time ago. 20 years ago? I did not get him. I have no idea. I mean, he's just been living out there under his real name. I don't know how he, how it is he's still I alive. Mean, he lived. He died like a normal human being. I thought that they would have found that guy in a drainage culvert, you, you know, like in 1985. So, yeah. I, I, think, uh, I think all the enemies ended up in a drainage culvert. That's the thing. I mean, that really, that is all that is necessary for a long and prosperous life is to outlive your enemies. Because once you outlive your enemies, then, you know, you walk around a free man whistling a song of happiness. All right. So, uh, so a snuff watch for uh, a guy that... You may not know his name right off, but he will be familiar to you as a character. I'll put it that way. You see him in numerous documentaries. Exactly. If and you're it, a Vegas fan, you know who he is. That's what I'm talking about. And Tim and I both thought he was dead. Apparently not. I mean, he is now. You know what I'm saying. It's uh, 503-733-2970. So all that on the way. Snuff Watch, Britney Watch, Geek Watch. Uh, we have another exciting installment of It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard coming up today. Oh, and then, do you remember last week we had this sort of divisive or divisive top five? Uh, Fatboy Roberts from uh, from KUFO did his top five teen films, and it started all this. He started a whole a whole ruckus, as the principal in the Breakfast Club would say. So I think his top five teen films that was an outgrowth of an argument that he'd had with his uh, with his lady friend because they'd had some, they were out doing something other. They had some whole I had some some whole dust of some conflagration about it. Um, so. So today, though, we're going to get her half. So today we will have her uh, side of the argument. We'll have her top five teen films. And then tomorrow, Lisa Desjardins does her top five teenage moping songs, which is kind of the thing everybody's been looking forward to. So uh, we'll get that tomorrow. Today we'll do uh, Bobby's girlfriend, Bobby. We'll do her top five list. Um, the whole Bobby. And then his last name is Roberts, and it's all very confusing. Bobby, Bobby, Roberts, blah, 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 blah. Wah, 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 wah. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification on this Thursday. We have some breaking news. Homicide detectives have rushed to the scene of a double homicide along Beaverton-Hillsdale Highway, southwest. Joe the Plumber's real name is Sam. Barack Obama successfully does as little as possible during the debate, <laughs> allowing John McCain to hop and puff through an hour and a half yonder for the rest of us. But I don't think he said Maverick once. No, he didn't. He was told not to. No, he, he, he didn't friends. say Maverick, and Mc, uh, McCain said friends once, but Obama never said look. He never said look, not by my reckoning anyway. Now cell phones will give you a rash. A Portland girl wins Project Runway. A Portland veterinarian whose middle name is God has his license suspended. A man wearing a skeleton mask robs a Vancouver drugstore. The Burn Blink-182 drummer fails to show up at a benefit for himself and fellow Burn victim AMDJ. And a Vegas legend is dead. Okay. Uh, we will talk more about last night's debate here in a moment. Let's welcome out of the Rick Emerson Show, as we always do, Sarah Dillon. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Good. I really enjoyed watching the debate. Did you? Now, oh, where I, were you? I was over at Lisa Woods. All right. Uh, and so... friends and... And many bottles of wine? Yes, indeed. All right. So... And then, so I actually watched the debate and then did, in fact, watch Project Runway as well. Good for you. Yeah. All it was right. awesome because Leanne, the girl uh, who won, was uh, my friend's roommate. So a couple years ago. So now, what is Project Runway? Now I heard that they that that show that it was going to be the last season that it might not be coming back. Have you heard that? Apparently, there's a lawsuit underway because I guess it was going to move to uh, Lifetime. Right, right. Oh. They were moving from one network to another. 
And, and therefore, with all this happening, Bravo wasn't really promoting it this year. Right. Knowing right. that they're going to lose it. So the ratings probably slid. So whether or not the lifetime edition of this is now being shot, I don't know. Or where it stands legally. All right. Whether or not they'll be able to leave Bravo and move over to Lifetime. Now, is there some generic spin-off of Project Runway that everybody could watch or Project Runway itself gets canceled? There you are know, tons of shows like that. Well, you know, I don't know, but the, but the people who host it are really good. Like, Heidi Klum's really good, and Tim Gunn is, like, the most amazing man ever. I can work. Yeah. It's good. It's it's really good, and it's just it's petty and awesome, and I really and like they, it And there have been knockoffs like that. That's like a, that hair-cutting show, which is ridiculous. Oh, my what was God, that Sheer Brilliance? Oh. Sheer Genius? Whatever yeah. the hell that show was? With, with what's her name? With her skin pulled so far back... <laughs> Her skeleton's almost tearing through it. <laughs> Kate Jackson, pimp my skin. <laughs> then there was a great show on the BBC last night, Too Ugly to Love. Is that a reality program? Yeah, Wait, is it Too Ugly to Love or Too Ugly to Be Loved? I think it's Too Ugly to Be Loved. But I mean... But anyway, is, the, is it, this girl had seven nose jobs, and they were still botching it at the seventh one. Heather has seven noses. So wait, so Too Ugly to Love. And so did they follow ugly people as they tried to become pretty? Because that never works, by the way. I'm well, here to they, tell you, you're ugly, you're going to stay ugly. Then, then there's another one. Uh, I just saw the promo for it. A man who loves his sister or something like that. And there's Sex Change Soldier also on BBC America. That's fantastic. Mm. Remember when BBC America used to be sophisticated and, and upscale? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where it was just some guy... they sold off his bones. It was... <laughs> where it was just some guy sitting in an overstuffed chair by a fireplace and looking at the camera for an hour and just going... Well, then. And then that was it, just sitting in front of a bunch the of... The mating habits of the emu. Sitting there in front of a bunch of leather-bound books, and, you know, while well, somebody sort of poked at the fireplace with, like, a big metal stick, and they just said, um, thank you for joining us. Who among you would fancy a crumpet? And, and, and then they would roll the credits, and then that was it. And then there were seven episodes of that, and that was the whole series. Well, they discovered it's just as easy to make British people stupid as Americans. Oh, yeah, no, that is the great thing about America is that we are just exporting our stupidity everywhere. And I don't say that in some self-hating American, I'm going to move to France kind of way. I mean, whatever. We are what we are, and the human race just seems to be getting dumber by the, by, you know, by the moment. So whatever. You just got to embrace it and roll with it. I, for one, have just become zen with the fact that everybody in this country is dense, including myself. And we're all a year from now, we're all going to be dumber. But the thing is, we're all getting dumber together, so it's like none of us are getting dumber. You know what I mean? It's like if all cars on the freeway suddenly slow down at the same time, it's like none of them have slowed down because it's all relative, sort of. So everybody in this country, I mean, our intelligence is just grading it away at a, at a sort of steady rate, mm -hmm. which means that we're all really just as smart as we were yesterday compared to one another. But in America, I mean, we don't export textiles or electronics or cars. As uh, Frank Zabotka says, you know, in this country, we used to make stuff. We used to build stuff. Now it's just a big line of guys with hands in each other's pockets. But really, the only thing we export from America is culture. And I mean culture just in the lowest possible sense. But we export our culture around the globe. That's what we're good at. That's what we do. Oh, the name of the show is Too Ugly to Love. And it's on uh, three times today. <laughs> too Ugly to Love? But it's not too ugly to watch, apparently. You Also, How Clean Is Your House is on today. All right. So wait, is, So now, in Too Ugly to Love... Now, is it just the, is it the travails of some hideous, some some butt-faced person trying to find a partner, or is it, or is it a an ugly person that they then try to make attractive over the course of the show? In this episode, it's BDD or 
Body dysomorphic disorder, which is a largely undiagnosed medical condition, sufferers of this condition are obsessed with how they look and can spend hours obsessively grooming themselves. Oh, so this might not be a truly ugly person. This just might be some person whose brain is all bent out of shape. Mm -hmm. This is is just going to be one of those uh, irritating women who just plucks her eyebrows for 15 minutes a day in front of the mirror, right? Well, that's less interesting. I want to show if it's going to be called too ugly to love. I want actual ugly people. Oh, so this is just people with low self-esteem who call themselves seriously. Ugly? It's just I haven't seen the whole series yet. Seriously. I just saw last night's episode with the bad nose job. It's just some shallow sea who won't shut her mouth. <laughs> I mean, right? That's what it is, right? Problem. <laughs> I mean, like, come on. Uh, so I mean, anyway, whatever. It's a whole bunch of people. You're just watching the show, going, you know, get bent. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. I mean crank, of course. Uh, let's see. Oh, by the way, today's quote comes to us from Sarah Wagner. Said this in my office this morning. Quote, if we have to choose between the lesser of two evils, I want the tall drink of water that speaks eloquently. Seriously, go. my God, I went from a, oh, I think Obama's kind of hot. It's like, holy God, he's yeah. amazing last night. No, he's uh, he's an attractive man. He quit dyeing his hair, too. I think he I was like doing that. a little bit of that just for men or whatever that stuff is. Because... No, that's what I was saying last time, how I saw that his gray was coming out, and it's like I think he stopped dyeing it to try yeah. and look a little older. It did more distinguished. And, and, in fact, he did. McCain acted like a little baby last night, and Obama was like the father. It's weird to see the younger guy acting more mature. Well, McCain has done that thing where, you know, McCain's... when he eyes did not stop blinking. Oh, man. And, and the little creepy like tongue? He's like all... I was oh, saying he, last... He the 90210 lip balm. Oh, he didn't have a mouth, though. It was like a pink smudge. That's all. No mouth, just a, just a breathing hole. Uh, so a couple of things. A, you're right. He had Heath Ledger Joker tongue, where he was just going to go... And the blinking was crazy. Mm-hmm. I wanted a blink on I mean, it. it was really fast. Because if you watch CNN, they have the undecided poll, but on the HD, they have the ranking on the sides. I wanted some third HD thing where you could do the number of times they blinked. Because the average human blinks once every 11 seconds. That's a thing I learned once a long time ago, and it stuck with me. McCain, though, it was bing, 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 Especially when Obama was talking, and you could see him in the background, and he's just saying they're blinking crazy, like... Him talking about? Yes. Okay. I didn't know. You, you trailed off, <laughs> I trailed and I couldn't tell you were done. He's all blinking crazy, like... Uh... Now, we all may not... You may not have seen this, because each... Because it, I thought it was just a pool feed for the, for the TV, but I think it depends on where you watch it. If you've got split screen sometimes, or sometimes full screen... So you may not have seen this, depending on uh, which network you used. Go to rickemerson.com and look at the most recent blog entry. Uh, it's totally safe for work. It's just from the debate. It's 22 seconds. The audio is not that important. But it's uh, the caption I put on it is, Dear Meat Headlights. I don't, I don't remember seeing this moment last night. So I think that CNN might have gone to a full screen of Obama when this moment happened. Have you seen what I'm talking about, Tim? I'm not sure. Let's, let's go. The, let's, let's watch it now, shall we? Let me just bring it up over here. Uh, I'll go ahead and play the audio. Uh, I'll play the audio right here. It doesn't really matter. It's McCain ta- or it's Obama, Obama talking about his uh, his health care plan, and then McCain reacting to it. And I apologize in advance for the fact that there's really no way to convey how flustered McCain looks at this moment. It's impossible to explain. I mean, mere words cannot describe the fluster that is happening on McCain's face. I, to the point that when somebody sent it to me this morning and they said, look, this is McCain's deer in the headlights moment, I thought they were really overstating it until I watched it. Uh, so let me pause this here. I'm going to back it up, and then we'll play it in just a second. It should be buffered here in just a minute. But it's, it's, really, it's really astonishing when you watch it. 
This is okay. You know what the weird thing is? This is actually from CNN. So this happened last night, and presumably we didn't we didn't catch it for whatever reason. I'm looking at the screen, and this is actually just the regular CNN feed of Obama and McCain last night. I can tell because well, first it's got the CNN logo, but it's got those those weird like those wonky up and down undecided oh, lines. Green and orange can I just tell you this by the way while I'm waiting for this to buffer? When I do the, when I watch the the post game coverage, I go home and I watch Anderson Cooper and you know Jeffrey Tubin and all those guys it, and, and David Gergen, who in my opinion is the best commentator right now working this election. They interview those idiots that are in the undecided room. Those are people that shouldn't be let near anything sharp or anything that plugs into anything else. Just a bunch of gum chewers, man. There's a bunch of mouth-breathing tool users. Those undecided people. I mean, well, I don't know. I'm still trying to make up my mind. I uh, I see some things about both candidates that I like. Why don't you Why don't you shut your pie hole? Yeah. Why don't you go away? Um, all right, so this here, what we're going to play is, you can see this at rickemerson.com. This is a, a, a YouTube video that I have posted. And it is Obama speaking about his health care plan. And again, you're not really going to be able to hear much of this, of McCain's reaction in the audio. But at your first convenience, go to rickemerson.com and watch this. The question is, would you favor controlling health care costs over expanding coverage? McCain has led into this moment by... I believe accusing Obama of having a health care plan for which small business owner was, would pay a fine. Mm-hmm. Are, are you talking about Joe Plummer? Yes, I am, okay. Sarah. We'll fix his little red wagon here in a second. Uh, so McCain has said that small business owners would pay a fine. So if you're at RickEmerson.com, we're all going to watch this together. You might want to drop the mono bed just a, just a hair there. And I, I just described what my plan is, uh, and I'm happy to talk to you, Joe, too, if you're out. In fact, there. are you guys watching this, Tim? Sarah? Uh, yeah, I should be. Okay, you should come watch it here. I've already got it buffered. I want you to be able to see McCain's reaction here because it's so pronounced and he looks so flustered and thrown off. I'm amazed we didn't catch this last night. So here is Obama answering and then McCain uh, responds. I I just described what my plan is. Uh, And I'm happy to talk to you, Joe, too, if you're out there. Uh, Here's your fine. Zero. Uh, You won't pay a fine because zero. Because, as I said in our last debate, and and I'll repeat (laughs) that. I exempt small It looks like something out of Wallace and Gromit. Um, the it looks like to provide health care to their employees, but are not done. doing it. I exempt small businesses from having to pay into a kitty. And he's forcing right. himself to smile. Exactly. So there you go. So that's the uh, that's the moment. You can see that at rickemerson.com. It, it really doesn't work on the radio, and I acknowledge that. But it's worth watching. Zero? Just to see McCain's. It really is a what, what, what? Automobiles? <laughs> Holy crap, I cannot believe he blinked that much. He looks like a blinking potato man. Yeah. What did your friend say about McCain? Oh, God. That's the line of the uh, morning so far. Was something your friend... Uh, was, yeah, uh, this is from Dave. And he said, my friend Kim said that John McCain looks like a face you would draw on your thumb. <laughs> Which really is true. It really is true. Uh, so I don't know that it's up right now. Later on today, uh, last night's debate commentary will be posted. It was outstanding. I have to say that it really was. Not to be all about how great we are, but we are pretty freaking great, Tim Riley. Uh, Tim Riley, myself, and then Peter Carlin for the Oregonian. Peter, who was drinking for all of us. You know, like sometimes they say a mother is eating for two. Peter was drinking for three last night. So Peter Carlin for the Oregonian sat here in the studio with us, brought a bunch of Foster's Lager, like the big-ass cans with him. And went through two of those in about the first 45 minutes playing the drinking game. And was unbelievably loaded by about, I don't know, 7 o'clock or so. So if you have not heard last night's 
running commentary for the final presidential debate. It's going to be up at 970.am later on today. I really encourage you in the strongest possible terms to download it and listen to it. Uh, I mean, I hate to sound like we're just talking about how great we are. Oh, it's, it's up now? All right. So clearly you should be listening to this program, but then later on the day you should be listening to that. Yeah, it, I, it really is quite... It really is quite something. So, uh, so uh, Tim Riley and Peter Carlin alone—that's worth your price of admission last night. So, thanks to everybody who listened to the uh, to the running commentary. How much could we have not predicted that Joe Plummer would be the phrase that everybody used? And here's the thing—I don't even know what what that came from. Uh, because it was here's when it happened. It happened at about six ten. It was like ten minutes into the debate, and McCain did what I thought was a pretty clever move at first. He said. Well, you know, he did a reversal of the personal anecdote story, you know, which is where they go, I met a textile maker in Akron. Because that's what I thought, because hadn't Obama mentioned Joe the plumber before? It was McCain who did it first. McCain okay. actually said, well, Senator Obama met a guy named Joe who's a plumber. And we actually said, hey, that's pretty clever. He's doing the reversal. He is actually telling a personal anecdote story about the other guy as a negative. Well done. That's pretty a little jujitsu there. You know, it was sort of interesting for a minute, but then the entire, but then there was those, those insane moments where they were actually just looking at the camera and directing the whole debate to Joe. It was like some weird um, Ed TV kind of moment where Joe was the last undecided voter in America, or what was that Dennis Quaid movie that just came and went, where he's the last undecided swing voter in America, so the candidates all go to his yeah, house. Swing vote. Swing vote. It was like the entire thing just became directed at Joe personally, which was just surreal. And I think we all went from not knowing who Joe Plummer was to hating him in about 35 minutes. Now, to be fair, I saw an interview with him this morning. Seems like a good guy. He doesn't at all seem like a douche. But by the end of last night's debate, I was like, F him. He's a douchebag. Joe Plummer sucks. Death to Joe Plummer. And then I saw him this morning, and he seemed like a pretty good guy. And they said, they said, so, Joe, what did you, or Sam, or whatever his name is, they said, what did you think about last night? He goes, well, I thought it was kind of dumb. I don't know why they kept talking to me. That was, you know, there's a whole country of people. And I went, well, okay, fair enough. Yeah. But last night, by the end of last night's debate, I never wanted to hear the words. I tried to register JoeThePlumber.com, by the way. About 6.50, I was online trying to wait, like, JoeThePlumber.com, bye. It was already registered, and it's already been trademarked, too. Maybe you'll be doing live reads for Joe the Plumber. <sighs> Maybe. He's a... He does, you know, he doesn't even have a plumber's license. That's the other thing we found out this morning. He works for some guy as a plumber's license. Anyway, uh, so you uh, his name isn't Joe, and he's not a plumber. It's a house of lies, Tim. It's one brick of deception on top of another brick of deceit. Oh, people are so stupid. Um, so let's quickly go around the room. Last night, debate, final thoughts, observations, winner, loser. Oh, Obama killed it, killed it, and um, McCain succeeded in looking like a flailing, senile, old turtle man. He looked. <laughs> He and he sounded insane, and the way that you know, I want somebody like regardless of what party they they represent, I I want somebody who can maintain their coolness, their calmness, be collected, and you know what, Obama didn't let himself get rattled by that you know crazy hooting and hollering old man. Like, right. I was impressed by that. I wasn't even a fan of Obama until last night, and as soon as I saw that, I was just like, afterward, we were all just gushing and watching, you know, the the posted game wrap up. And as Eddie Murphy would say in uh, in Bowfinger, it's all about keeping it together. Which McCain uh, did not, and which Obama did, uh, you know, just to the nth degree last night. McCain just looked very weak, and I, once again, I don't think he's a bad man at all, but he just seemed really weak, and I would and be cranky. embarrassed for him to be our president. Totally, I'm with you on that. Mm -hmm. Tim Riley, the way to really piss off old people is to pretend that they don't annoy you. Yeah, and that's what happened last night. Obama just sat there. I don't know what he was doing, but 
I mean, he mailed it in and won. Well, there, I would say by this. Letting, by letting McCain just constantly blow up? Exactly, that's like the thing. Like that story you were talking about yesterday, right? Uh, yeah, the Ali Foreman thing about the rope-a-dope. You just lean into the ropes and you let your opponent punch himself until uh, he's to the point of exhaustion. You let your opponent punch himself out until he is fatigued, which by the by about 7 o'clock McCain was. Because he spoke really well at the beginning. He was, you know, polished, had everything kind of coming out, you know. Uh, well, it was very thought out and very concise. But the longer the debate went on, the more McCain started to trip up on his words. He would say the wrong word. He'd have to stop and correct himself. And again, just to go back to that analogy one more time, that is exactly, I think, what Obama probably planned to do. He just sat there and he just took it all night until McCain had punched himself out and was tired and was loopy. And then Obama came in at the end and did a couple real strong body checks and like that was it. And people said that Obama was pretty flat last night. And I, I do agree only in the sense that Obama's job last night was just to not lose. Like that's, that's all he had to do last night. Obama didn't have to win. Obama just had to not F up. Obama's whole thing last night was walk in and don't give McCain anything that he can use just to, to win the election. And McCain sort of flailed around like a guy in quicksand and I think only succeeded in looking cranky and weird and not a little bit senile, in my opinion. And just seemed like a guy who was trying to goad Obama into an argument that was never going to happen. I mean, that's the read I kept getting, is that McCain kept trying to prod Obama into some sort of an outburst or into some sort of a, uh, a meltdown of some kind. I, I kind of felt sorry for McCain, though. If you go back at least one election, I mean, he could have been a strong contender. Absolutely. His time is gone. He, he was robbed. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he was. He was robbed, and he is a good American. Totally. I mean, they stole it from him in, in South Carolina in 2000. There's no getting around that. Uh, many people lay that at the, at the, at the door of Carl Rove. I mean, somebody certainly did it. There was an awful whisper campaign about him and ugly smear tactics and whatever, but I, and I'm with you. You know what McCain is like, though? McCain at this point is like a can of soda that's been sitting out for about three days, you know, open. It kind of tastes like it used to and like it should, but no fizz, no pop, no zing, and doesn't really seem like doesn't really seem like something you want to drink. Would have been good if you'd had it when it was opened. Now it's just kind of gone flat and bad. That was kind of what I was waiting for when McCain was talking to Obama, and he's just like, you know what? If you wanted to run against George W. Bush, you should have run four years ago. And I wish that McCain, that Obama would have just flipped around and been like, well, some people said that about you. Exactly. No, hey, that would have been good. Yeah, I was I was waiting for that because as soon as the four years, that's what everyone said. You know, like McCain would have been a good contender four years ago, but now he's a little. And you know, when when McCain says, "I'm not George W. Bush." Here's the thing. Right or wrong, no one believes that. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Uh, and I'm inclined to think that it is more than a little true that he is like George W. Bush. But it matter. No one believes him when he says that. And it's also got to be really frustrating for McCain that none of the stuff that has worked for Republicans in the last eight years especially is working right now. The Republican playbook of the divisive cultural wedge issues... As much as I love to see those things used because it makes it exciting, the theater of it is very thrilling, you know, when they're just doing the full-on smear tactics. I love that just as a viewer because it's, you know, it's very gripping and human drama. None of that's working right now because people don't have any jobs. Uh, so all of this, like this stuff about Bill Ayers and you know, all this stuff would have worked four years ago, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Eight years ago, I mean, they just would have buried Barack Obama with that William Ayers stuff. I mean, it, you know, whether it's, you know, justifiably or not, that would have been enough to end it for Barack Obama, but not right now. And so McCain just must be sitting there looking through this playbook going, I know there's something in here that'll work. I, crap. But he's, it's like he's he's using this playbook that was post-dated, uh, you know, or whatever, that expired four years ago. It just doesn't work anymore. Uh, and there's all those weird photos going around this morning of McCain, and these are undoctored photos. 
But it looks Well, he looks like a zombie. Yeah. And you see that photo taken afterward when Cindy McCain, John McCain, Michelle Obama, and Barack Obama are all on stage together, and John and Cindy McCain are both doing this hands-out zombie pose. I don't exactly know what they were doing. Maybe they were stretching or something? And John McCain mentioned her by name twice last night, and I was wondering why he did that. I if know. he thought it was beneficial to mention Cindy. Maybe he thinks it makes him look young and vital to you know, that he's got a woman. He's got a wife. I mean, granted, a weird crypt keeper looking wife, but, you know, still. Uh, well, let's just do these, and we'll, um, we will probably break. Yes, come back with Lisa. All right, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, um, I was going to discuss how I drank uh, bourbon sodas last night every time McCain blinked, but in more uh, recent news, it worked. I was wasted. Um, but in more recent news, while I've been on hold, uh, sacrificing for the show, yes. um, rolled up all my windows so that, you know, no wind would come in and you guys could hear me properly, mm -hmm. and farted, and did not roll down my window because I was driving and the phone's in my left hand. So I will sit through farts for you. Um, greatest show ever. Thanks. You complete me, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. Let's take a break. I can't really top that right now. Back after this, Lisa Desjardins and Steve Kastenbaum, Tim Riley, and more stated. Say that on the air? Yes. Heather drank two bottles of wine. Heather has two bottles. It was pretty impressive because I, yeah, I barely Excellent. finished one. Was this while watching the debate? Yeah, while watching the debate and then we hung out at, yeah, Lisa Woods after and watched the, the wrap up and then um, Project Runway. That's fantastic. It was pretty damn funny. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Let's now welcome to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill CNN Radio correspondent, Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you today? Hey. Okay, then. Uh... How's life? How are things? Good. I'm, I'm good. Can you guys not hear me? I can absolutely hear you. You're usually much more effusive. Oh, really? Oh, geez. Sorry. That's okay. I uh, couldn't tell if you were busy like if you I was... No, I, I spent... No, no. You know, I, I've got uh, kind of a numbed brain because I, I had to listen to three hours of a Senate banking hearing this morning. That must be a real barn burner. Oof, I'm still recovering. Well, let's talk about something more interesting. Let's talk about last night's debate. Okay. So, first yes. of all... I, I wish that there, because on CNN television, if you have the HD feed, they do this thing where you on the side, you can see how, like, David Gergen is scoring the debate. Yes. Uh, and those guys. There really should have been a blinkometer so I could see every time McCain just started fluttering his eyelids like he, <laughs> like Hugh Grant in an early 90s romantic comedy. <laughs> they were quite glassy, those eyes, weren't they? I have to tell you. Now, look. Uh, I, I'm just saying this as an observer. See, how about HD, by the way? What's that? See, how about HD? See, now, I, and to be fair, I actually don't have it. I don't have HD. I only know this because people tell me about it. I thought that you'd given in and that you'd gotten it. No, I don't have it. People have told me about this, that if you have HD, you can see, like, Jeffrey Tubin's scorecard or whatever on the side of the debate goes on. I don't have it at the moment. Okay. But I will say just, I don't mean this in any sort of partisan way, but, boy, McCain just seemed to be falling apart at the seams last night. I, I really have to say that just in terms of his general tone and delivery and his body language, his his general demeanor, uh, it was as the night wore on, it was he just kept sort of flailing, in my opinion. And I got the, the very defined sense that he was trying to provoke Barack Obama into some sort of a conflagration that never happened. We definitely heard leading into the debate that that was the Republican game plan. Now, this wasn't from anybody from the campaign, but that was the rumor flying around. So it's hard to say if where it was coming from. Mm -hmm. but, but that John McCain was going to try and... Um, 
go, try and get get Mr. Cool, you know, a little bit hot and try and get Barack Obama incited a little bit. And if that's what he was doing, it certainly backfired. Um, and I, I think I honestly think I look at it differently. You know, the first half hour of the debate, everyone, I think even shorter than that, maybe the first 20 minutes, 25 minutes, I said, wow, you know, maybe maybe John McCain's going to have a night here. Maybe he's going to play this just right. Because I, I felt like he was doing well at the beginning. Now, he still has this, he has just, he really does have a style problem. He he can bring up very pertinent facts and examples, but he, he gets kind of twisted around in his own words, and all of a sudden he's throwing out, you know, five different sets of numbers and billions and jillions and percentage, and you're kind of, what? Like, he, it's like he, he loses viewers, I think, uh, sometimes when he, he gets caught up in his own words. But it's at the beginning of last night, I felt like he was, Doing, doing better and being a little bit more, you know what, I know my stuff more than you, Barack, and kind of making that case. But then once he went on the attack, I, I think that that was it. I, I think he, he really did come off as a little bit gruff. And I also think he, and now there's no more debates, but I think he could have used a training session on breathing when you have a lavalier mic. <laughs> how, many, <laughs> how many different times did you hear this during the debate? And, and actually, and so we were doing, I don't know if I mentioned this, too, so we do, uh, for some of these things, we did it for the vice presidential debate, we did it for last night, a running commentary. Oh, that's great. So like a mystery science theater thing. So last oh. last night we had the CNN radio wraparound uh, with Steve and Dick right. Uliano and some other folks. But during the actual debate, Tim Riley, our news director, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian, who you met at the roast, yes. and then myself, we do sort of a running commentary in the studio during the oh, debate. That's great. And there were several moments where we would hear this sort of, <laughs> and I would look over to Peter and I'd say, hey, mute your microphone when you inhale. He'd go, it's not me, dude. And then we would look and we would realize it was John McCain who was just doing this. It was like it was like somebody blowing out one of the windows in the Nostromo when it's circling the earth and suddenly everything starts to decompress. <laughs> And, you know, and this is not the first, if you go to the last debate, too, he, I mean, there are all sorts of McCain breaths all over the place there. And I, I almost did a rap. I almost did a story just on on that because it was it was so out of control in my mind. But nobody else was picking up on it, so I thought I was on my own until now. Like all dorky guys who spent their adolescence watching the movie Wall Street over and over yeah. again, I like to relate everything to The Art of War by Sun Tzu. <laughs> and there is this great little maxim in The Art of War where... He says, in essence, uh, when your enemy is busy destroying himself, just do nothing. Yes. And do you agree that Obama last night, because people said, well, he was kind of flat or he was kind of whatever. But, but his whole thing, Obama didn't even really need to win last night. No. He just needed to not lose. Yeah, he, I mean, it, it felt like he, he is just wearing down the clock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because the tie it, goes to the guy who's ahead. Risks. Yeah, exactly. Same. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't get in trouble when I said this before. I'm going to say it again. But, you know, he just had such an advantage over John McCain in, um, honestly, how he um, enunciates, how he, how he puts things across so that he captures attention. We had two of our good friends over um, to the house, and they're not political, really. And, uh, of course, it was the Phillies game was on last night. So we had the picture-in-picture. Picture. We had the Phillies game. And my my television was out of control because I had all of those six dials – 
from our analysts on the screen, and then also the, at the bottom where we have the kind of EKG line mm-hmm. from the Ohio. And then on top of all that, we had the Phillies game. And it was great watching it with um, just two random people who, who truly, like, they, they, they were trying to listen to John McCain, and, they, and he was making good points. I knew what he was talking about, but they couldn't under, they were like, what? Like, right. you know, he was losing them. And, and that's been his greatest problem. In the I, I do have to say, um, this was sort of, we actually said about the vice presidential debate that it was the inverse of the first presidential debate. And so now I'll say last night was the inverse of the VP debate in that you know, McCain does obviously have a lot of substance. He knows, as you said, the facts, the figures. He does obviously have a grasp on some of the issues, at least his own perspective on them. But just in terms of trying to convey an idea, he starts to speak sometimes, and it's this combination of my ears glazing over from boredom and then just sort of an awkwardness and cringing a little bit because, again, he gets into this full flail mode where he becomes, and and he gets the kind of cranky old guy thing going on, and it did seem like he knew on some level this was his last chance just to jab Obama into into really melting down. And I think, not to get too meta about it, as the young people say, but I do believe, in my assessment, that John McCain's demeanor last night was a microcosm of the demeanor that his base has had over the last few weeks, mm-hmm. where the more they see this slipping away and the closer the clock gets to zero, the more frustrated they get. And it's also this anger mixed with confusion about why they're losing to this guy. And so they just become more and more erratic and they just start throwing these bigger and bigger sort of wild haymakers. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, a lot of Democrats are comparing last night to Bob Dole's last debate where he was clearly angry uh, and losing. And, you know, I think it was not, it, I, I don't know that that's a fair comparison. I, I don't think uh, John McCain was quite to that extent. But I, I think there were clear moments that people who were on the fence or who were wondering, hey, is this guy a little kind of cranky old mannish? Is he a little grumpy? Is he a little angry? Where people who were wondering that could see moments. I think people who, who were leaning John McCain um, had a good night. I think they thought he did really well because Barack Obama didn't do well and John McCain had some good moments. But I think, I think there, especially toward the end, you're right, it was almost like a mental bottleneck. John McCain was like, I, uh, uh, and then the, the stuff, you know, the stuff that he that came out was just sort of this, uh. Uh, that's wonderful. Yeah. All right. Uh, I had some other point I was going to make. Oh, uh, yeah. you know how sometimes, and you're a sports fan, so you know there's all these fantasy things of like, what would happen yep. if uh, Mike Tyson fought Joe Lewis in 19, or, you know, or like, wait, if the, yeah, if the, the premise, premise for the latest Rocky movie, right? Exactly. What? Okay. First of all, before, uh, I'll ask you one question, then I'll give my observation, then, then we got a, a skedaddle. Okay. If you could match up two fantasy sports teams from different eras to play against each other, what would they be? Oh, geez, I have no idea. I, I, uh, I don't know. I'm going to choke on that. I, I don't know. Well, well done. All right, uh, here's mine. <laughs> Sorry. Some... I, might, I mean, I'd probably have to go with, like, some crazy Olympic teams. I, I don't know. I, I like the all-star teams. I, I don't know. I'm saying in terms of in terms of political fantasy sports, I want to have some parallel world where I can put John McCain into a debate with the Admiral Stockdale. And just, oh. you know what I'm saying? And so John McCain just uh, flaps his big eyebrows and his, his like, black button doll eyes. And, and then Stockdale just kind of goes, gridlock, every now and again. So <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't, well, I think I'd be the only one that would like, though, a, a Ralph Nader-Ross Perot debate. Hey, that's a little something. And then, but then you have Ron Paul occasionally run in the middle of the stage and scream something crazy. Yeah, and you give him a bunch of crafts as well. <laughs> and crafts. It could use. 
Yes. Okay. This is, um, see, this is the sort of conversation to be careful about, because otherwise we're going to be here an hour from now still talking. Uh, are you on tomorrow? Yes, 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 yes. All right. We will talk to you tomorrow. Until then, have a fantastic day. Okay, you too. All right. Bye now. All right. There you go. Lisa Beja. Ah. It's a good day to be alive, Sarah. Sure is. Mm. I don't like uh, when you're talking about it now. It's everyone's. You said that people keep saying how you kind of look like you phoned it in and stuff. I, I didn't see that. It's not that he phoned it in. I, I, I'm not saying Obama phoned it in. I'm not saying he wasn't good. He wasn't there. But I'm saying he wasn't. There were no knockout moments from Obama. He didn't. No great lines. But that's the whole thing. His whole deal last night was be two dimensional. Don't give him any surface to grab onto. Mm-hmm. And just sit there and absorb it. Look calm and cool and collected and let McCain wear himself out and look cranky and grumpy. It's, it is, you know, it, it, last night, and people can draw whatever they want from this. I'm just saying from my vantage point as a political whatever, some nitwit who just observes stuff, McCain is just sort of the dog nipping at the heels last night. You know what? And you just don't, it, you know, here's, here's a better example. Here's what it is. It's like when you're on a, a some sort of like a message board, you know, or a forum where people are posting, you know, whatever. They're, they're arguing some point about something or other. And they have this thing they say on message boards sometimes where they say, don't feed the troll. And you'll see that on FARC occasionally, where some guy will come onto a message board where there's a discussion of a political issue or movies or religion, anything that is sort of divisive. And some guy will come onto the message board and he'll type out some post that is just clearly intended to rile people up and is just there just to irritate people because a guy wants attention. He just wants attention by saying some jackass nitwittery on a message board. And then you will see people post and they'll go, don't feed the troll, which is just don't respond. Go about your business. Don't give the guy any attention. He's just coming here and posting some crap on the board because he wants to be noticed. So you know what? We're going to ignore him. You look away for 15 minutes, you'll be gone, like Ricky Martin. That's what Obama was last night. Wasn't phoning it in, but his thing was just to be right there in the center line, be absolutely unflapped by the whole thing, mm-hmm. be very stable throughout the whole thing, and just let him wear himself out. Because there were a couple moments you know? I could see that he was getting frustrated. Like, while McCain was talking, I'm like, oh, is he going to still keep it together? And then he'll be like, so look here. But and he, he'd be so calm. I'm like, but wow. But he would smile and relax and just let it go. It is, he is a damn handsome man. It is, like, it is like a parent having a kid throwing a tantrum. You know, your kid throws a tantrum, you know, and I'm not even a parent, but even I know this. Your kid throws a tantrum, you don't yell back at the kid. If your kid throws a tantrum, you don't coddle them. If your t- kid throws a tantrum, you don't lose your cool. When your kid says, I'm going to hold my breath and scream and turn blue if you don't take me to the mall right now. You know, the parent just says, well, you know what? That's great. If you're going to throw a tantrum, I'm just going to set you over here. I'm going to go about my business. You let me know when you're done having a, having a fit, little missy. And then the kid throws a tantrum, wears itself out, and then you move on. Mm-hmm. So that was that was last night, just from... From my way of looking at things. 503-733-2970. Let's welcome back to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City. CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well. Uh, great job on the uh, on the broadcast last night. We heard you doing some of the wrap-up after okay. the, uh, the presidential debate. We were here doing our running commentary, and then we heard you sharing your thoughts with the masses. Thank you very much. Yes, I was in the spin room. So, now, is that... When, I, when they say a spin room, is it really a room? Is it a hallway? Where is the spin room? It's usually uh, a cordoned off area, not cordoned off, but uh, uh, an area that's been designated for the post-debate interviews, and there are a lot of live camera setups in there. Uh, in this case, they had the media center and the spin room in one giant athletic center, but sometimes they're in two different buildings that are, you know, right next to each other. I hope you don't take this personally when I say that with that spin room, and especially for some reason when it's on CNN television, 
I will watch CNN uh, political coverage. Just if they, if they were just to do a nonstop feed of that for the next forty years, where it just never it, it never ended, I would sit at home and just mainline that into my brain because CNN televisions uh, and CNN radio, of course, but also but CNN television with their panel. It's just CNN has the hands down, in my opinion, the best political coverage happening on any major network right now because it, and it, 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 because even when someone is coming from a partisan point of view even when somebody is a republican strategist uh or somebody is a democratic strategist they do a really good job in most cases of rising sort of above that and saying well look yes i am a republican strategist but in a simply tactical viewpoint here's what needs to happen tonight here's what john mccain did well here's what barack obama did well they do it in a very sort of removed and kind of bloodless fashion that being said they're trying. They're really working hard. And, and they do a great job at giving you, in my opinion, just the facts and an objective analysis of kind of, you know, how the game is played and how the election is won. That being said, as soon as they go to the spin room, it's like I can just feel my blood pressure, uh, pressure rising and Mr. Hand becoming Mr. Fist. Because, uh -huh. because it's just some guy sitting there, a guy with way too many teeth. Uh, looking in the camera and just lying to you about the performance of his candidate. You know that's true. You know, who, speaking of way too many teeth, so one of the guys I interviewed last night was uh, former Governor Mitt Romney. That was kind of fun. Not only way too many teeth, but he has hair that obviously... You know what Mitt Romney's hair is? It's like they've taken every television anchor and they've gone into a laboratory and they have created some perfect hybrid of every flawless head of hair on every television broadcaster in the top ten markets, and then they gave him that hair. It is very Ron Burgundy-ish. Yeah. I mean... What what was uh, Mitt Romney is so hard to get a read on because you get the sense that he doesn't really exist that there's just some sort of chip in his head that recites political talking points. But what was Mitt Romney's take on uh, on everything? Did you do you know? Oh yeah, well he was saying that uh, that Senator McCain was very successful in in turning things around and putting Barack Obama on the defensive, getting him on his heels, making him have to explain some very puzzling uh, uh, policies and 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 stands that he's taken on issues. Uh, and that seemed to be contradictory. So uh, that was the message they were putting out last night, that um, McCain uh, had a mission accomplished last night in, in turning around the momentum. But it remains to be seen. I mean, all of the polls are telling us that right now Barack Obama has the momentum and the pendulum is swinging in his direction uh, little by little. Hey, let me clarify something right now. Is Joe the Plumber really named Joe? Yes. Now, we heard this morning his name was Sam. No, it's Joe... Hold on, I was just watching video of him. He did an interview this morning. I know I got to see if I can find it, but uh, he was he, he was being interviewed because he asked Barack Obama, you know, why are you penalizing people for being successful and rich? Uh, wait, I got it right here. Joe, oh man, it's a video link. Oh geez. So of course it doesn't have a caption. Stupid technology. You know, ah. we were we were speculating last night during the debate, though, that uh, that every single person who was a plumber named Joe in Ohio was calling up there and going, no, that's me, dude. It's totally me. No, he's talking about me. Well, fortunately, the original encounter with Barack Obama was captured by a couple of cameras. So uh, it, uh, it it's definitely him. I mean, this is the guy they were referring to. Joe the Plumber. Let's see. Where is he? We heard that he was a registered libertarian. That's what somebody told me this morning. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, uh, I, I can't find it. There's a million articles now written about this, only because they mentioned his name, uh, you know, 40, I mean, 24 times or something like that. They said Joe or Joe the Plumber. It became a little surreal because there were more than a handful of moments where both of them, Barack Obama did this just as well. They were looking at the camera and speaking directly to Joe, which is <laughs> weird. I mean, 
And I kept going back to that Dennis Quaid movie that came and went a few weeks ago where, where he's like the last undecided voter or something in America, and so the candidates all start going to Dennis Quaid's house to try to get him to vote. That really was what it felt like last night. It, it was like it at all. The country is so evenly divided, so split, so polarized, it literally has all come down to one guy named Joe in Ohio. <laughs> and Joe this, Wurzelbacker. There it is. Wurzelbacker. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, I mean, has anybody asked Joe what he thought of last night's debate, who he felt that came out on top? Yeah, he definitely was speaking uh, this morning uh, to some reporters, and he still uh, does not uh, agree with Barack Obama's taxation uh, proposals. And uh, he's adamant about this, saying that uh, Barack Obama wants to tax you for becoming successful, tax you more. Why should you pay more in taxes just because you've, you've succeeded in life? And then he said something along the lines of, you know, it's a slippery slope. You say 250000 now, but then you might look at it and say, well, you know what? If you got 150000 you're doing pretty well. Let's lower the threshold. So uh, that, that was, that's what uh, Wurzelbacker is saying today. This really has just become, I, I mean, this is so much more surreal than it was a month ago. And a month ago, it was more surreal than it was six months. I remember, what, a year ago, a year and a half ago, it was, you know, this was the primary season, and Hillary Clinton was running, and everybody was saying, oh, this is the craziest election we've ever seen. It's, it, this election is like nothing that's ever come before. But to think that we have now gotten to this point where both presidential candidates of a country of 300 million people in a world of 6 billion people spend the lion's share of the time talking to one guy who's a plumber in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we are in some weird Patty Chayefsky fever dream right now. So I don't even know what that is. Uh, he's the guy that wrote Network. Oh, oh, so. that's who that's who wrote it. Yes. So okay. in any event, uh, are that, you on tomorrow, sir? That clip has been getting played a lot lately, too. The uh, uh, the Patty the uh, the network the Howard Beale clip. Yeah, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. The yeah. movie's even more prescient than it was when it came out. Are you on uh, tomorrow? I am. Yes. All right, then we will talk to you uh, tomorrow again. Great job last night, and uh, we you. will uh, we will speak to you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon, sir. I appreciate it. You guys uh, do the same. There you go. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. Wonderful. Let's do one call, then we'll break. We'll come back. Tim Riley. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Hey. Gene. Hello. Um, hello, or can you hear me? Hello. Yes. Hi. Hey. Uh, don't, I love you, man, but, uh, but it wasn't Dennis Quaid, man. It was uh, Kevin Costner. Oh, is that true? Is that in the Swing Vote movie? <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, see, there you go. I, I I was actually wondering to myself if it had even come out, but it must have already come out and gone. Is that true? Yeah. You know, I uh, I tried to look for it at theaters, and um, it was gone. All right. So, <laughs> so Kevin Costner, not Dennis Quaid. Yes. All right. Duly noted. I will update my mental file right now. Overwriting, saving, updating, done. Thank you. All right, man. Hey, uh, one more thing? Yes. All right. Thanks. All right. I knew it was coming. It's 503-733. He earned it, though. It's 503-733-2970. The Rick Emerson Show continues next with Tim Riley. Don't go anywhere. Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hello, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. More of your calls uh, coming up today. Later on, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. We'll do today's top five. Uh, also, Glorious Bastard of the Week. It's the worst song you've ever heard. 
Geek Watch, Brittany Watch, Snuff Watch. This is Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Breaking news, two are dead in a Beaverton-Hillsdale Highway shooting. This happened in an apartment building. Neighbors in an apartment in Beaverton said a small child came to them and said two people were shot. Police were called out, and so were homicide detectives to the scene to investigate. It's unclear who the child involved belongs to, and the names of the people who have been shot have not yet been released. This happened shortly before 9 o'clock this morning at 5041 Southwest Beaverton Hillsdale Highway. Then a soft-spoken Leanne Marshall won over more flamboyant contestants. In the fifth season of Project Runway, this is the first time the fashion reality show on Bravo, uh, Bravo featured an all-female finale. The 27-year-old Marshall, who is a friend of a friend of Sarah Dillon's, <laughs> won her wave-inspired collection. She used sustainable uh, fabrics in shades of white, beige, and pale blues. The Portland resident wins... $100,000 plus a Saturn hybrid and a spread in Ellie magazine, along with other prizes. This season's challenges including designing a look for Brooke Shields. The really? show its run on Bravo and moved to Lifetime Television, according to the story. And they're also switching cities from New York to Los Angeles. The look for Brooke Shields at this point would be standing behind a door. That's the look for Brooke Shields. Wow. I got two questions. Switching from New York to Los Angeles. No. Uh, what are sustainable fibers? Does anyone know? Because I don't. Uh, it's a thing they say. Don't know yeah. what it means. No idea. I don't know it. All right. Secondly, I don't think it matters to anybody. It does. I do remember her when she lived with Amanda, and I'm like, uh, it was Amanda's birthday party. I remember. In... Is this Amanda Pants? No, Amanda and Amanda No Pants. Amanda. Oh right, okay. Amanda uh, No Pants. Isn't she Mrs. Pants now? No, not. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what we're talking about. All right, so my other friend Amanda, yeah. Leanne used to live with her, and she lived in the basement. And uh, I remember going over to her house specifically for a few parties, and we'd be like, where's Leanne? And she's like, she's down in her basement. And you could literally see thread coming down the staircase into her room, and she would sit in her room and sew all day, all day, every day. Down there, foot on the treadle, head full of dreams, mm -hmm. Sarah. Uh, so, And then she got a spread in Elle magazine, which doesn't really – I have nothing to say about that, but I will say this. That reminds me that – you know what they're still making is that Vogue for Men magazine, which I thought would have a shelf life of like an hour. Oh, yeah, I could have got that for free. I saw Men's Vogue when I was at the dentist. They had Men's Vogue there to read. And I was kind of looking at that. How is it possible that that magazine is still around? I mean, there's like five issues deep into it. Rolling Stone, there's some big article. Not that anybody's even reading Rolling Stone at this I point. I saw it on the kitchen table. But did you say that that's the last full-size issue because it's shrinking? Rolling Stone is going to shrink down to National Geographic size because Rolling Stone's been a, you know, it's been a big-ass magazine forever. But I believe next month it's, they're going to cut the size of it by about 40%, because let's be honest, nobody's really reading magazines at this point. Unless, unless they're niche magazines. Not the, the big national ones like Newsweek and Time. and those, the, Yeah. Things, events that change on the Internet. I think that, yeah, that's probably more accurate, is the general interest magazines Correct. are going away. Mm -hmm. At niche magazines, people will still read, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in things like probably alternative, you know, weeklies and papers. That stuff's still going to be around. But, yeah, the idea that you're going to pick up Newsweek to find out some crap that happened, uh, you know, four days ago or whatever is just ridiculous. So the, I, don't, I don't know how it is that they're making money on that men's Vogue, though. It's just weird. It seems like a little bit of line extension that doesn't quite work. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey. Hey. How are you guys doing? Uh, we are fantastic, sir. Wait, hold on. Let me check. Tim, how are you doing? Let me check. I guess I'm fine. Sarah? Thank you. Super fabulous. Richie, how are you doing? 
Okay. Oh, uh, wonderful. I was just yeah. calling to say that uh, you said earlier that Joe the Plumber was a registered libertarian. That's what I'd heard. Uh, yeah, okay. So earlier today on the Progressive Channel, whoever one of the... The Progressive Channel, oh, yes. Yeah, one of the DJs... Progressing toward that, bankruptcy. Yeah, that he's actually an unregistered voter. Somebody, uh, Carolla, Adam Carolla was saying that this morning, that the Joe the Plumber guy... Teresa Strasser, uh, Corolla's news person, said that they had seen or heard or read or whatever that he is actually not even registered to vote. So. In our Good oh, okay. Morning America, they said his real first name is Sam. See, so now nobody even knows. Now listen, now, people are making up all these lies. I'm gonna. It's unfair. They oh. are, Tim, and I'm gonna read you something else. Uh, this is. Let's see if I can have if I can find this email really quickly. This is something else that somebody sent me about Joe the Plumber. Let me see if I can. Uh, if I can get this uh, get this to load really quickly, and keep in mind, this is, I'm not saying that this is the truth. Just as this is just a thing that somebody sent me. Uh, somebody says, Rick, I heard that um, he's not a real plumber. He's a Republican, and that, and that he is related to a guy. Th- well, this is just related to a guy. Related to a guy thrown in jail for the Keating Five uh, fiasco, and that he lives with his parents. I'm not saying this is true. This is simply what somebody claimed about Joe the plumber. I don't know that that's true or not. And it says, ironically. The plumber currently has uh, an income level that will make him eligible for Obama's proposed tax cut rather than the tax increase. Well, because he was trying to position himself as one of these mysterious people who decides to stay poor because he doesn't want to make, uh, you know, because he doesn't want to pay more taxes. Those people don't exist, incidentally. All right. All right. Thank you for the heads up, sir. Hey, yeah, sustainable fibers, yes. bamboo, yeah. But I mean, what what does that mean though when they describe what are, what are the the Who's properties? Wear a pair of bamboo socks. Bamboo the... shirts are as soft as can be. What are the properties that make something a sustainable fiber? Mm, I couldn't tell you exactly, but something that uh, grows quickly. Is that true? So is it something that grows fast enough that you can use it without depleting the source, do you think? I would think so. Bamboo, it's a weed almost, right? All right. I'll have to look into it. Well, hey, best show ever. Thanks a lot, you guys. Thank you. You call us anytime, sir. There you go. Uh, Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, it's me. Uh, Yes, it is. Hello. Hey, uh, yesterday you guys were talking about Sarah Palin uh, making some comment about uh, John McCain living by the motto, live free or die. Yes. I thought that was kind of ironic coming from John McCain a prisoner of war for like six years. Mm. All right. Duly noted. Indeed. Thank you. All right. All right. I had to ponder that for a moment because I couldn't figure out if that was an observation or if that was if it was like a, like a joke, if it was an ironic you know, sort of note that he was striking there. All right, thank you. That's Casey. Thank you, Casey. I appreciate that. I don't think my brain is firing in all cylinders today. I think I'm on Why four out that? of six. Well, we've been extremely busy here lately. Uh, we've been busy. I, it's not that I'm not entertaining and amusing today. I am. Let's have no doubt about that. But I do believe that in terms of, you know, when your brain is sort of popping like, uh, you know, like some like some jiffy, jiffy pop that's been on the, uh, the stove, you know, for the right amount of time, I feel like I'm at about four out of six cylinders. By about one o'clock, I'll be I'll be fine again. I just had some more Vizo. It's gonna take about the uh, you know. I'm like, making my Vizo right now. It's twenty twenty five minutes. Yeah, it kicks in. Gonna be fine. But we were here late last night. Yes. And all just jacked up for this presidential debate, which was hilarious, by the way. Uh, Tim Riley, Peter Carlin, myself uh, doing commentary on last night's debate. So you can find that at nine seventy dot a.m. But you're right. It's been another one of those. <clears throat> pardon me. It's been another one of those weeks that just sort of wears you out. And let's have no illusions about this. We have a, we have great jobs. This is a great job to have. It's I try never to complain about this job or the, the, you know, the, anything that has to do with the job because there's some guy hauling around. More fun than most people have. And, yeah, and there's a guy hauling around a bucket of gravel somewhere who doesn't care at all about whatever difficulties I may have here. That being said, 
we are going on, I think, another long week in a long month in a really, really cranked up six months or so. And I am starting to agree with Sarah that, I mean, especially now that this final debate is done, assuming that there's nothing really exciting that's going to happen for the next two and a half weeks, I'm just ready for the election. I am ready for it to be here. Mm-hmm. Now, has anyone received their ballot in the mail yet? No. I no. have not. I was just wondering about that yesterday. I think I, I got the voter... I think I got the information packet thing. I got, that. I got the book. But I don't I think I got in the ballot yet. So, But if you haven't and I haven't, Sarah hasn't, then they must not have gone out. I don't check my mail very much, though, so I might have gotten it. Yeah, I, don't, I checked mine last night, and there was uh, nothing. Tax bill should be out any day soon. Yes. November 15th, the big day. Tiger police are looking for a couple who beat and robbed a man after they responded to his Craigslist ad. The man and the woman showed up at the victim's Morning Hill Drive house. Around 10 p.m. in response to the ad, officers said the victim was beaten with a handgun and then tied with tape and plastic ties. Steve Dindas said uh, the neighbor came to his house and pounded on his door in search of help. Blood still remained on Dindas' front porch. It was just full of blood. He said he was robbed and pistol whipped. He had tape around his wrists. Other neighbors said they heard a loud scream before midnight. Officers said the couple stole the man's wallet, cell phone, and pickup truck. The victim told police he tried to stop the pair from driving away with his truck, but was unsuccessful. So this, that sounds like something that ha- would happen in L.A. You want to pick up something you bought at Craigslist? And right. Craigslist causes problems. Pistol whipping is bad. I don't ever want to be pistol whipped. So the city of Portland is backing off that letter that is sent to people who lost their homes in the Terwilliger landslide. The lender told homeowners to clean up the mess within a few weeks, but they're going to be fine. Commissioner Sam Adams now said the city will retract the letter. He said the commissioner, uh, Randy Leonard, saw it, and he decided to work on what he calls a more compassionate response. Well, and what, and what, what possible influence could a fine have? They don't have a house. Their, their house is a big pile of sticks. Shattered homes, shattered lives. I think the idea of some guy coming by and putting a ticket for $15 on a big stack of rubble that used to be your residence is probably the least of your concerns right now and not likely to sway your behavior. Vancouver police are looking for a robber who wore a skeleton's mask and robbed a pharmacy. He pulled a gun on the clerk and demanded money. The store is near Fisher's Landing, and people who work near say they're concerned for their safety. Employees say the skeleton took off on foot. They add he's thin, as a skeleton would be, five feet seven inches tall. I don't know. He was just bones and bones. They say the suspect may uh, be a teenager because workers say the skeleton sounded young. The Oregon Veterinary Board has suspended a Portland veterinarian license and plans to take it away for good. They say the vet who helped establish a bunch of pet clinics across the region has a history of run-ins with licensed boards in Oregon and Washington. Dr. Daniel J. Kohler, whose middle name is God, has been accused of abusing animals, taking illegal drugs, and violating professional standards. He's also a licensed uh, lawyer in California. He says he'll fight this. Police are calling a 12-year-old girl's claim of attempted kidnapping a hoax. A girl reported the incident Tuesday, saying a man tried to uh, get her in his car at Highway 99 at Elm. Investigators say they don't think uh, she tried to find out the suspect. A police artist made a sketch of the suspect. They uh, released it. Police determined it was a hoax, and they interviewed the victim again. She was trying to cover up from being late going home. I'm still trying to come up with jokes about the skeleton guy that was robbing people. That is funny, isn't it? Let's see. If he had accomplices, it would be a skeleton crew. That's not that funny. Um, I was going to do a Jason and the Argonauts reference there, and that didn't really come together either. But So he was dressed as a skeleton, but then he had... Did you say he was wearing something else on his face, or was it just a skeleton mask? A skeleton's mask. Hey, speaking of, of guys robbing stuff while dressed as things, it's an odd statement. Have you... Uh, and, and this is really more of a Sarah thing, probably. Have you heard about whatever that, that facial product is? It's makeup, but they call it pantyhose for your face. No. 
It's the weirdest thing. Laura and I were walking through uh, Lloyd Center the other day, as is our one. Was it at a kiosk? No, it was it was in the makeup center at the I forget one of the stores. There's a couple there, Nordstrom and Macy's, or whatever. But there's you know there's you go through the cosmetics and it's like a living hell if you're a guy because it's just because is that what the science is over the counter? <laughs> living hell for God. Uh, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Uh, but um, you like our new store, living hell for your husband. Um, That'd be great. You could open up a chain. <laughs> but I, and I'm overstating. But you know what I mean? It's like first of all, like walking into just some horrible. Perfumey gas chamber, you know what I mean? Because just because it's fifteen thousand different competing brands of perfume that have all been spritzed and sampled and tested and sprayed and swabbed, and then there's a bunch of weird sort of Pennywise looking women, just sort of, and the women are always. First of all, and I'm not singling out any store or any product in particular. Let's be very clear about this because I've seen this in every city, every state, every type of mall, every type of store. Why is it that the women who are working behind the makeup counter always look weird? They're always way too old, hair way too big, skin way too tight, too much makeup, and it always looks like they're about to lurch out and like drag you in, you know, to like a, like a gingerbread house. Because uh, the only makeup counter that I usually go to is um, in any fancy store is the matte counter, and yeah. they always have like young girls. There. I will say the matte girls are pretty hot. Yeah, see, and so yeah, all the matte girls it's either like a like a transvestite or like a girl, and they're all wearing a lot of makeup, and they're all really pretty. And uh, Speaking of that, did anybody see Candy Crowley on the debates last night? I did. She uh, didn't look like the Candy Crowley of all. They've this given a, her this a, a new kind of candy. They, uh, they've, uh, they've given her a, a makeover. I saw her last night, actually. Um, let me pull up a chair. So we were, because we were, well, in fact, it must have been here while I was still, while we were still doing the thing with, you know, when we and Peter doing the commentary, because the deal is, so last night, Tim Riley, Peter Carlin, and myself, we did the running commentary during the presidential debate. And after the debate, CNN Radio did about a 20-minute wrap-up, after which we did our final goodnights and you know, goodbyes and whatever. But during the CNN Radio wrap-up, we were kind of multitasking. We were listening to CNN Radio, but we were watching CNN television. And CNN does have a really, really great panel. And I think in CNN's, to CNN's credit, it is to their credit, that CNN doesn't really require that everybody who is one of their anchors or correspondents or whatever look like a model. I mean, CNN has folks who just look like real people. Uh, one doesn't necessarily mean they're weird looking, but I mean, you know, there's some that were like Fox is the worst about this. Where you watch Fox, and I mean, every girl on Fox looks like, it looks like she just came out of a L'Oreal commercial, which I suppose is interesting if you just want to turn the sound down and be amused by it or whatever. But um, you know, but CNN has some folks who they you know they don't look like. Uh, they don't look polished in the way that perhaps they uh, they might uh, on a different style of broadcast. Well, Candy, Candy Crowley came from radio because she used to be an anchor woman on the old Mutual Network. Really? Yeah. Good for her. So last night there was uh, Gloria Borger. There's uh, Campbell Brown. There's Amy, just the cute as a button, Amy Holmes. Amy Holmes, Seamus and I, uh, our uh, P1 in Colorado, Seamus, and I, we share an unholy love for Amy Holmes, who is a Republican strategist, mm-hmm. but just adorable. Just, um, just, just, you, you just want to, you just want to give her just a, just a, just a, just a, a big, a big warm hug is what it is. I was trying to find some way to say something crude that was still radio friendly. It didn't work. So I'm going to say we want to give Amy Holmes a big warm hug. Not together. Unless that's the only way we can do it. Anyway. So there's Amy Holmes, and then there is Candy Crowley, who is a larger woman, I would say. Yes. And um, I'll just cut to the bottom of this and say that last night she was wearing a lot of makeup, which they don't typically have her in. 
she does not typically have anything except I think she does lipstick and then maybe a little, I think she does eyeliner just to kind of make her eyes sort of pop on TV. But last night she was sitting there on the panel and she was, it was like, it was like a Mary Kay woman had gone after her with a, with a, with a spray gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I mean, it wasn't even really bad. It was just sort of weird. You don't typically see. She, she They don't girly her up. She, they don't really make her look overly feminine a lot of times. She just sort of looks like what she looks like. And I think here's the difference. I was thinking about it afterward, actually. And this is how much time I spend thinking about uh, makeup and girls on CNN and Candy Crowley and debate panels. I think the difference is... Candy Crowley typically is broadcasting from a remote location. Usually when they finish a debate, they say, uh, CNN's Candy Crowley is in uh, Brunswick, New Jersey. She was in the hall. Candy, what did you think about tonight? And it's just, well, Anderson, the, game, the name of the game tonight was offense. And she's just in the hall, like off in some dark corner reporting. Mm-hmm. Very rarely is she in the studio at the dais with everybody else. And that was the difference last night. So I think that's why they must... I have this image of her walking in to do the, the recap last night, and the CNN makeup person just call her, like, buttonholing her as soon as she walks in and sticking her into a chair and going after but, her with but a I'm swab. I'm <laughs> Quiet. Quiet, you. Right. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Uh, where I don't even know that she was given a choice. I think they just stuck her in a chair and just started spray painting her. And, uh, again, it didn't look bad. It was, just, it was a lot different than the way she normally looks. So, you know, but hey, you know, what, what am I going to what am I going to do? It does remind me of, um, oh, never mind. It reminds me of a story that I'm not going to tell. Here's Tim Riley. Band members of three Oregon middle schools will be marching in the Macy's Day After Thanksgiving Parade. After all, reversing an earlier announcement by Macy's that the bands would be cut to save time. Well, now they're making time. See, children cry. Uh, that's the, that is the skeleton key to get anything you want. You just get some kids on TV blubbering away. About 250 students were affected. So uh, now they're all going to play their songs. So start practicing, kids. Uh, we've got this, Rex. Sustainable fiber is code for hemp and other hippie fibers. If Joe is truly a plumber and has any smart, his business will not be affected by any income tax changes proposed by Obama or McCain. Most small businesses, even mine, which employs myself and two part-timers, is an LLC, a type of corporation. Most small businesses incorporate to protect the owners from lawsuits and other legal claims. He has an LLC. That is a limited liability corporation. Yes. He says if Joe is a sole proprietor... And he is in an income bracket, which would be affected by Obama's tax plan, which is over 250 k He is a fool and deserves what he gets. That is assuming that Joe reads. And the likelihood of that? Well, he is an American, Tim, so I'd say the odds of Joe reading anything longer than a racing form are probably one in five. It has to be written on the back of a hot dog, more than likely. <laughs> for Joe to read it at all. Joe probably doesn't read anything, and I'm speaking about the broad figurative Joe. Joe, Joe both plumber and lunch bucket and six-pack, all of them, and 40-ounce... Uh, All of the Joes, I would say they don't read anything longer than the average person can read during the average bathroom break. That would be my assessment. And here's what happens when you don't let children play in bands and parades. Now teenagers accused of hurling rocks through an SUV window. You know, if they were in a band and were practicing for a parade, well, it might not have happened. That is right. A woman driving near Wilsonville is fortunate to be uninjured after a rock crash through the sunroof of her vehicle. She was driving near the Willamette River. Two 14-year-olds who should be in band practice apprehended in the crime now face charges in juvie in Clark County. Uh, Judy Krause says she was driving near a Willamette River in Wilsonville when a rock smashed through her windshield, hit her amazingly. She only has minor injuries. She pulled into a nearby business, the Boat Works. A worker there named Jimmy saw the rock in the road. He also saw four teens near the railroad tracks throwing more. The 20-year-old sprinted from his work. This is Jimmy. 
Caught up with the kids. It was surprised to see how young they were. They were still throwing rocks over the edge. I ran after him. I brought them back. And uh, he made them come to him and set them down in the building until the cops arrived. Did he make them get on their knees and beg for their lives? He doesn't say. All right. Well, that's what I'd do. First of all, Jimmy. Does anybody here know an adult named Jimmy in 2008? I mean, it's not an entertainer. There's Jimmy Kimmel, obviously. I mean, other than Jimmy Carter, can you think of a grown man named Jimmy? When you say, when you think of a guy named Jimmy, you know, when you said his name, you know what I immediately pictured is a guy at one of the gas stations in the 1950s with like the weird, like the 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 the, the hat that's like shaped like a canoe, and he runs it and goes, fill her up, lady. Exactly. Good to see you today. Let me get under the windshield wipers for you. Hey, do you collect green stamps? Here we go, green stamps for you. All right, let me check your tire. Hey, you have a great day. Clean bathrooms out back. So, all right, Jimmy. Uh, hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. This is Carl from Southeast. Hello, Carl. I want to talk to you about the uh, City of Portland Bureau of Development Services and their uh, nuisance notices, the one that they threw at the uh, people who slid down the this hill. This is to clean up your pile of sticks? Exactly. Yeah. I had a pile of sticks in my front yard. It was about three inches deep, and I had a couple pieces of crap on the porch. And uh, so I got a nuisance notice. And the fun... When just you start... say crap, do you mean garbage or you mean crap like butt crap? Uh, no, I mean, like, um, some wooden furniture, oh, okay. and, you know, it, it was probably a lot, but, right. you know, it was, it was out of the rain, so it was okay. <laughs> um, anyway, the fun just begins there. Um, if you work your way down to the, through the check boxes on this, number seven is the um, Department of Human Services has identified your property as an illegal drug lab site. I was surprised <laughs> that this is so common that they have a checkoff box. But it actually has a pre-existing section of the form that they could uh, put a little check mark next to. With phone numbers and contact information for the person in charge of that department. I wonder what the other things that, you know, your, your uh, front lawn is currently home to a body that has been dumped. Well, number eight and number nine are blank other, so they could throw that in Car there. Car on fire in front of residents. Well, I'm only about 15, 20 blocks from your house, so you know how it is down here. I do. Sidewalk littered with broken vials and gun sh and, and, and shell casings. Well, the real fun begins where uh, they tell you about the, um, let's see, they, uh, they, they do a work order on you. And the city of Portland makes a whole bunch of money off these work orders. It's $300 minimum to come pick up a little pile of sticks. And the city... Uh, contracts, and then they, they uh, charge you a fine that's 40% of the contract price. So they, this could easily be a thousand bucks. I gotta go find a little island and start running my own government, because that's where the money is. Really, Portland just, is, the oh, whole and, thing is just a racket. And don't forget, the title of the office is the Bureau of Development Services. Really, what they want to do is take old houses and run the people out and knock them down so we can put up some multiplexes and condos. Well, I'd do the same thing. All right. Thank I'm you, sir. Nice. Yeah. New Great. construction makes property values go up. Houses of the future, sir. Nobody wants a porch full of sticks. <laughs> no, they don't, Tim. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. It's slightly off topic here, but um, actually, uh, I I know that you're uh, you're a big fan of uh, Stephen King's novel, The Stand. Are you not? Yes, yes I am. Um, I don't know if you if you knew this or not, but uh, Marvel actually came out with a five comic series of um, of The Stand. Really? So is it uh, is it good? Yeah, the, the, we're only in the second. They release one a month, and they started in September. So there's the first two issues, and um, it is badass. I mean, it's 
it's full of gore and it's word for word. I mean, it's 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 perfect right how? along with the storylines of the stand. So you should uh, you should definitely check that out if you get a chance. How could they possibly do the stand in just five issues though? That's what I was wondering too. But you know, they're they're skipping through it pretty good. I mean, the the first two are uh, they're they're a little slow. You know, I mean, in, in the in the first in the first issue, they kind of broke out with the whole Captain Trips thing and right. they got that going. And then um, you you meet like Larry Underwood, and they're kind of skipping through it a little bit. But I was reading online, and uh, and I guess they're they're going to slow down and take a lot of time in like the uh, the Lincoln Tunnel scene and make that right. real gory and and kind of draw that out. But are they um, doing the uh, are the stand comic book? Do do you know? Are they doing the mass market edition that came out first, or are they doing the Stephen King unabridged version? Do you know? It's it's the it's the Stephen King version. Wow, that's imp- I, I okay. I'm gonna go pick that up if only so I can see how they do that in five issues. Yeah, I know they only have the first two out, but they're gonna release one a month, you know, so it goes through Excellent. what like January or something like that. But uh, you should definitely check that out. Pick that up this weekend. Thank you, sir. Hey, one other thing, real quick. Yeah. Jeff Rickley's babies. Well, <laughs> well, that's just that's not even mudslinging. That's just truth. Oh, by the way, uh, listener Kathy wants us to know, there's sometimes a guy in the number 19 bus named Jimmy. He's always on his way to get methadone. All right. Thank you, Kathy. Let's do one more. We'll take a break. There is. What? Here's a little uh, ditty from uh, Joe Biden. This is from MSNBC. This should be amusing. Here's Joe Biden explaining yesterday. Look, John's last-minute economic plan does nothing to tackle the number one job facing the middle class. And it happens to be, as Barack says, a three-letter word, jobs. J-O-B-S, jobs. Well done, Joe Biden. We don't, get, we don't hear enough from him. Well, because you know, people, sort of, people think that we just pick on Sarah Palin, but the fact of the matter is that I think they've, uh, I think they've really Look, gotten... John's last-minute economic plan does nothing to tackle the number one job facing the middle class. And it happens to be, as Barack says, a three-letter word, jobs, J-O-B-S. That is so great. I have to tell you, that's worthy of, like, George W. Bush. That really is almost a Bushism. That's quite wonderful. Uh, We just don't have enough material on, on Joe Biden right now because I think they've clamped down on him in terms of going off the prepared text because he is sort of notorious for his verbal gaffes, and he just hasn't given us that any. There was that one where he was talking about, uh, we were talking about FDR being on television. Uh-huh. There was that one, and then there's that. But that's the only two I can really think of. They must have really gotten him in a room somewhere. They're like, stick to the script, read the tele, add nothing, because he at a certain point was notable for two things: plagiarizing, uh, and then also adding a bunch of sort of ad hoc comments that, that kind of fell apart under even the uh, even, even the most uh, offhand scrutiny. All right, wonderful. Let's take a break. We'll come back after this. More from Tim Riley. Uh, later on, we'll do the top five glorious bastard of the week. We'll also have Geek Watch coming up, Snuff Watch coming up, Britney Watch coming up, and It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard. Stay there. Are you mad? 
That's bizarre. Totally weird. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Still to come, top five. Glorious Bastard of the Week, Peter Carlin for the Oregonian. Uh, it's the worst song you've ever heard. Geek Watch, Britney Watch, Snuff Watch. We've got this. Rick, last night I kept uh, wishing that I could ask McCain a few things. Here are some of my questions. A, could you stop breathing heavily into the microphone? It makes you sound like a creepy uncle sneaking up behind someone and panting sexually into their ear. B, uh, I, this is, I, I actually read with some of these little rings. Uh, you, you keep talking about... Um, so you keep talking about Joe Sixpack. What about Joe Angry Mob? What are you going to do for Joe Angry Mob? Speaking of last night, I got two things. First thing is this. And as Lycus always says, if somebody sends him a story a hundred times, you know, if he, gets, if he gets 15, 20, 30, 40 people sending him a story, he will talk about it. Doesn't matter what it is, because obviously it's what people care about. I don't know. For you guys, I can't speak for you, but this morning I have had probably 45 people Send me this picture of McCain where he is lurching after Barack Obama yeah, with his I've, tongue out. I, I've gotten several of them. Now, that can't possibly be real. No. That's got to be fake. Oh, no, the one with him? Where he's got his tongue out and he's grabbing. Like, it, it looks like he's reaching for no, Obama's ass. It's, it's like Wiley Coyote going after the Roadrunner. It's real. He, he got confused. He was trying to go off the stage one, air, one way and they saw Obama was going off the other way. So he, like... Freaked out and turned because I saw him do this. He turned and made that face. Really? So that so it's with a, the tongue hanging out like that. Yeah, he's got his mouth open and his tongue is out, like past his lips. His tongue is he just protruding from that's his not mouth. That's tongue. That's like huge. But then, tongue. but then, why is he hunched over and it looks like he's about ready to to give Obama a good groping? Look, he's like about the cop of feel on. I think on, it's all the perspective because he's a lot closer. He's not behind Obama. I guess, but why would he be bent over at that angle? I'm, I'm not disputing. I guess it's a real photo. I'm just trying to figure out. Like, I wish I could see it in context. I would like to know what McCain was trying to do that he ended up in this pose. Maybe I don't want to know. Maybe the maybe the explanation is not nearly as interesting as just seeing the isolated image. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll uh, I'll try to get it posted on my. I have uh, it on my blog. Oh, it's at sarahxdillon.com. So you go to sarahxdillon.com, you can see what people are simply calling that weird McCain photo from last night. Yeah, that's going to be photoshopped almost immediately. In fact, I would like to encourage now uh, people to photoshop that uh, picture to make it even funnier. Here's Tim Riley. Health Department. Dermatologists are warning that cell phones could give you a rash. The British Association of Dermatologists is alerting doctors that an unexpected outbreak on people's ears and cheeks could be a newly named condition called mobile phone dermatitis. It's caused by people developing a reaction to the nickel surface on mobile phones. It appears that when the skin touches the cell phone for too long, researchers say people could get a rash on their fingertips from too much texting. A nickel is a common metal found on a large number of products, from belt buckles to coins. It's also one of the most common causes of skin allergies. Well, this is like that thing they said a couple years ago that cell phones were going to give us all huge tumors the size of bricks, and that didn't really I happen. I haven't had one yet. Me either. Do they have doctors that specialize in cell phone tumors? I don't know, because that was when Gene Siskel died. Roger Ebert was giving a lot of interviews where he was saying that he thought cell phones killed Gene Siskel. Uh, so I, I don't. I think that's a thing that they thought was true, and then we all kind of realized it wasn't. By the way, this guy says, hey, about that Stand comic. The five-issue run is just the first arc of The Stand, introducing Superflu in the main cast. Marvel is planning a 30-issue run of The Stand, basically a miniseries lasting two and a half years. There will be room for the entire comic, fear not. Uh, that's from uh, some guy. Who's that? That's from Chris. All right, thank you, sir. Here's Tim Riley. Let's talk about the brain. Drink a milkshake, and the pleasure center in your brain gets a hit of happy. 
unless you're overweight. It sounds... Is this a Japanese story you're reading? <laughs> this comes from Washington, D.C., the nation's right. capital. Okay. Scientists who watch young women savor milkshakes inside a brain scanner. Now, with women inside, who's a, brain inside, the, who's inside, inside a brain scanner... Who's inside a brain scanner? You know, it really turns me on. You put a woman inside one of those MRI machines, and then you have her eat a Velveeta single. Now, let me reread that sentence. But scientists who watch young women savor milkshakes inside a brain scanner, that's exactly what it says. So the scientists are in a brain scanner. Concluded that when the brain doesn't sense enough gratification from food, people may overeat to compensate. The small but first-of-a-kind study could even predict who would pile on pounds during the next year. Those who harbored a gene that made their brains yum factor even more sluggish. The yum factor? The yum factor. This is totally a Japanese story that's been translated poorly into English. Oh, it has a local connection. Of course it does. The more blunted your response to the milkshake taste, the more likely you are to gain weight, says Dr. Eric Stice, a senior scientist at Oregon Research Institute who led the work. It's published in the journal Science. This is just an excuse to get hot chicks inside of metal tubes and make them drink milkshakes. That's all this is. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no real science happening here. I'm, uh, this is it's like that some new fetish inside <laughs> the brain scanner. This is like that planetarium, Tim, and oh, I won't have it. Oh, John McCain brought up that uh, million-dollar planetarium projector last night a couple times, but yeah. he didn't even get a rise out of that. Well, so much for brain stories. Nobody cares. Florida, let's go to Florida. Now, damn it, damn it, damn it. Now I'm gonna have to, con- I have to content myself with this. KCMD Portland. A Florida man. Oh, I thought it was 1 o'clock. A Florida man using a Pompano Beach club claims a performer's shoe blew up during a pole dance, shattering the mirrored ceiling and causing glass in the shoe to hit him. The lawsuit filed in Broward County says 35-year-old Charles Provitt said the booby trap breached its duty when its employee failed to perform her routine. Is that the name of the club, the booby trap? Booby trap. That's wonderful. Uh, The employee failed to perform her routine in a reasonably safe manner. The suit seeks $15,000 in damages. Private's attorney says his client suffers a small cut to the eyebrow, headaches, and nosebleeds because of the January 14th pole dance. The general manager of the booby trap, George, acknowledges paramedics... Whose call. parents are very proud, by the but way. The injuries are minor. Oh, by the way, I have this. Uh, this is from... I think this is from last night. This is from Crystal, who says, OMG, the weirdest thing. I am watching the debate on CNN.com. You were like eight seconds behind all night. Then after the education question, you were six seconds behind. Then it changed to three seconds ahead. Totally weird. Now WTF, three seconds ahead, now behind. Now you're six seconds behind. You're doing a great job, but but WTF. Uh, so here's why that happened. If you were listening to the uh, presidential debate last night with running commentary by Tim Riley, Peter Carlin, and myself, what happened was Peter Carlin's potty mouth. That is what happened. Not unlike Storm, Peter had to be dumped twice was last night. Was it a drunken potty mouth? Uh, once, yes. The other t- well, both, yes. One, because well, you're stricter than most. I, I am. Mean, you are a stern taskmaster when it comes to things. Like I, Sarah will tell you, I err on the side of caution. We bleep a lot of things here that we probably don't have to. Gas found that out when he was here on Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, he said something rather, and I bleeped it because we just, you know, I figure, why play with fire, Tim? Right. So you know, an ounce of prevention is worth, uh, you know, three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. So. We bleep a lot of stuff we probably don't have to. But Carnal last night said one thing that absolutely had to be bleeped, and he said another that I bleeped just as... Carlin made a follow-up observation about McCain referring to a tit-for-tat situation. 
Mm-hmm. McCain said, well, I'm not going to get into something with taxes where it's a tit-for-tat situation. I remember that one. And Carlin made a, a little bit of a follow-up remark about that that was then deemed by me not suitable for air. So that was because he had been drinking. Here's something that happened because he was trying to drink more. He was opening his second can of Foster's Lager last night. And the first one I think it had, I don't know if he had like an empty stomach or long day at the gym or something. But as he's going to open, he actually injured himself opening a can of Foster's. So he cracks open the can of Foster's Lager, and I guess maybe he was trying to, like sometimes when you open a can of soda or beer or whatever, and you, you the, the uh, whatever, you, you pull the pop top or whatever the thing is, and it, the little tab that bends inside doesn't go in far enough, and you have to reach it with your finger and kind of push it back inside. Oh, did he slice his finger? So he cut his finger last ah. night while attempting to drink more. So the first beer actually got him drunk enough. One beer, a beer, I mean, granted, it's like a big-ass Foster's Lager thing, but really... One can got him drunk enough that opening the second can resulted in an injury. So we're, we had no bartender in here. We're busy doing the, uh, no, but I did come in with the big thing, a spick and span last night. I had to go over the entire counter because there was big, like, beer things everywhere. Oh. Um, but so as Carlin's opening the second can of Foster's Lager last night, we're all watching the debate. I just hear this, oh, yes. <laughs> and, and then he looked at me and then he, this is, this is the great thing about Peter. He actually said the S word, but then he looked at me and he mouthed the word so, anyway, here's Tim Riley. So that's why, if, if, because if you if you paused your TiVo or your DVR for 40 seconds at the beginning of the debate, you would have been almost perfectly synced up with us all night. But that is what threw it off, is uh, Carlin swearing twice in like five minutes. So here's uh, Tim Riley. Well, as expected, the early ratings show that the third and final presidential debate failed to kick you in the you-know-what in the ratings. Nielsen estimates the Long Island debate... Is that is an actual unit of ratings measurement now? That's what it says here. I was, uh... In the I... quote, you know what, unquote. That's from Nielsen. The kidney? No, Nielsen uh, rating service. I... What do you mean kick... Who's kicking what? You know what. All right, I'm going I'm to walk over here now. Go ahead. Early estimates say the third and final presidential debate failed to kick you know what in the ratings. Nielsen estimates the Long Island debate... Registered, 38.3. Uh, let's see. It was is that high- a share? Yeah. That's not bad. It's a metered market household rating. Higher than the first debate held on uh, Friday, which was uh, 34.7, and lower than the second one, which was 42.1. Wait, what is it? Is it got a 38 share, though? Yeah. That's still pretty impressive. I mean, you know, 2008 getting a 38 share, that's... And viewership was likely affected because uh, Fox was airing a series deciding Game 5, it's a basketball championship between Los Angeles and Philadelphia. Did you hear that they're going to, I think it's the World Series, they're actually going to postpone the start of the World Series because of that big ad buy that uh, that Obama's doing where he's buying that 30-minute infomercial thing? Is it the World Series? Some sporting thing. There's some some big some big game that they're going to be postponing. It's actually. a big game, Rick. It is. Because of, uh, for which I'm going to buy many snack foods uh, because Obama's buying that big 30-minute block. So the CNN did an interesting poll last night when they... You know, they were like, who won, who was more presidential, and who seemed most like me, and who do you want to drink with, and who would you let hump your sister, and whatever. And then CNN's final question everybody was, to, to all of the audience was, would you like more debates? And 89% of people said no. Nine out of ten people said no. Enough with the debating. We're done. We're done. And do you agree that probably no one's mind was changed last night at all? Because I think McCain went into it and came out of it with exactly the same favorable, you know, the fave-unfave uh, rating. And I think Obama was almost unchanged. So I think everybody's sort of, uh, they're finished. I think if we could if we could vote today on whether to vote tomorrow for the election, I think we would get like 98% of the country, they're done with it. They are ready to go in 
and they're ready to uh, to pull that lever, which I guess they're already doing in Ohio, where I, apparently voting started like eight months ago or something. Here's uh, Tim Riley. So I have these uh, sound bites, which I oh, let's 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 get rid let's let's use them let's get them get them done. Okay, so let's bring in Hillary Clinton because she's interesting. Uh, Hillary thought Obama clearly won the debate last night. Tonight, you saw the command that he has, the commitment that he displays, and uh, I thought it was another great performance. He's three for three. Hillary takes issue with McCain saying, quote, I'm not President Bush. He's obviously not the same person, but he has voted with President Bush about 90 percent of Thanks the time. So up. he has supported the Republican policies which have contributed to the economic distress. Now, here's a dumb question, Tim. And it's maybe late in the game to be asking this. When they say that thing about McCain voted with George Bush 95 percent of the time, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Does on, he on bills on certain bills? Okay, but in other words, okay, so he so he votes the same way that the Bush administration is leaning. Yes. In other words, okay, so when the Bush administration says, "Here's what we think ought to happen," this is our view on this bill or on this legislation. McCain is voting the same way. Right. All right. It is. So it's not like George Bush is getting up on television going, "I'm really where where me." I'd be I'd be saying yes, and then McCain says, "Oh well, I also would say yes." It really is just he is voting with the Bush administration's uh, stated position on things. Correct. Okay, excellent. Uh, Hillary says Obama's ideas uh, match up closely to her own. They're almost the same person. Many of the policies that I have fought for and believe in, not just during my presidential campaign, but my entire adult life, are ones that uh, I have confidence that he's going to do his very best to try to further. I'm not convinced she's that sincere. No. I think there's the slightest chance that Hillary is ever so bitter about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, call it a hunch. Mm-hmm. You can tell. I mean, what? I mean, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what it must be like at the Clinton household now. I mean, what are they talking about? What do Bill and Hillary do now that they? You know what? But you know, what Bill and Hillary are. Bill and Hillary are like a couple who met because of their shared love of matchbook collecting, and. Then the world stopped making matchbooks, mm-hmm. and they just have nothing else to fill the days with. You know what I mean? It's like you always hear about those people where it's like, you know they you know, they, they meet at some uh, you know they meet at like a scrapbooking convention or something, and then you know when they don't have the scrapbooking anymore, there's really just them staring at each other across a cold, sexless table doing nothing. Uh, you know, and and just uh, you know, and then they both make excuses to go to bed early in separate wings of the house. I mean, that's got to be what it's like for Bill and Hillary at this point. What, I mean, what are they going to fill the days with here in their golden years? Since it's not going to be running, and Hillary already said she's not going to run for president again, which might be a lie. But Hillary said she's not going to run for president. Did you see that thing the other day when she preemptively said, well, and I, uh, you know, and I'm certainly not looking for an appointment to the Supreme Court or anything. As though anybody thought that was a good idea. As though anybody ever thought about that. Like all of us were going, you know, we should absolutely put Hillary Clinton on the Supreme Court so she can't ever be removed or gotten rid of in any way. What we want to do is give Hillary Clinton power that can't ever be taken away from her. So, anyway, well, so let's get these over with. Once we get our required work over with, we can play. All right. All right. The first one. John McCain and Barack Obama went after each other last night. Republican McCain accused his Democratic rival of waging class warfare by pushing for tax hikes. Why would you want to increase anybody's taxes right now? Why would you want to do that? Anyone, anyone in America, when we have such a tough time, when these small business people like Joe the Plumber are going to create jobs unless you take... That money from him and spread the wealth around. Why can't Joe the plumber work by himself? Why does he have to have co-plumbers? Yes. I don't really know the answer to that. I think Joe the plumber is lazy. 
Joe the plumber's a bastard. He doesn't even know who his real father is. I hot dogs. I, uh, I don't really know, and here's the only reason I can't respond to that comedically or otherwise, is because even as of now, we don't even really know what his... You are still saying his name isn't Joe. They said that on ABC News this morning, and my Uncle Larry was a plumber for 50 years, and he always worked by himself. Is this a real uncle? Wait, are, yes. did they say that this morning, or are you saying that now? I'm saying that now. Your Uncle Larry was why, a plumber. Why does Joe the plumber need to hire help when my Uncle Larry was a plumber by himself? Well, see, now, but I heard that he didn't hire help. I heard that he is, in fact, hired help, that he works for someone else. Well, I heard he's not even a licensed plumber. I heard he's not even an American citizen. I heard he's not even really a white man. <laughs> Here's Tim Riley. So, uh, Barack Obama sets the record straight about his uh, former 60s radical friend, William Ayers. Forty years ago, when I was eight years old, he engaged in despicable acts with a radical domestic group. Uh, I have roundly condemned those acts. Obama said there were times when McCain did not side with uh, President Bush. On the core economic issues that matter to the American people, on tax policy, on energy policy, on spending priorities, uh, you have been a vigorous supporter of President Bush. Not true. Uh, two things. One, I'm wearing a Band-Aid that looks like bacon today. Everybody look I at that. I noticed. Look it. at my bacon Band-Aid. Uh, that is stylish. Yes, it's great. Uh, Susan Reynolds got these for me. Uh, two, I think I already used this comparison for something else a few weeks ago, but last night, watching McCain try to take down Obama, here's what it was. It was just like in Independence Day. When they launched the nuclear weapon, you know, they dropped the big one, and then the fog, you know, the smoke clears or whatever, and you have that, target remains. Repeat, target remains. And then whatever, President, what's his name, President Johnson? What's his name in Independence Day? Bill Pullman's character? Yeah, President, uh... Oh, I don't remember. We've seen that movie like five. How many times have we played that stupid speech on the show? I don't remember his name. President... Uh. Prefer... Well, whatever. President Jimmy. But he does that thing of where he says, call him back. Just call him. But, sir, maybe the other. And then Robert Loggia does it. That's sir, a good one. Maybe the other planes could. No, just call him back. President Thomas J. Whitmore. President Rip Whitmore. Um, so, you know, because they just they try the biggest weapon in the arsenal. They drop the big nuclear hammer and then, then work. That's what I think McCain did last night when he was just with his heirs business, which, again, four years ago or eight years ago would have worked. That would have been enough to knock Obama out in the primaries, probably. I don't know. I still don't know why Hillary Clinton couldn't do it this year. But I, but they did do they did this poll last night and they asked people if they even cared. And like 53 percent of people said, like, I don't care at all. Quit talking about it. And you could tell from McCain's tone and his general demeanor. That was he in his opinion. That was the big arrow in the quiver. That was McCain's. Big knockout punch last night was trying to link Obama uh, to this nut, this mad bomber guy from the 60s. Who is that when Obama was giving away something for free, and he had that chuck look on his face. <laughs> free? Huh? Your fine is going to be nothing. And then McCain, what? what are you, can you begin to... And that look, you can see this at RickEmerson.com. It's the YouTube so. video of McCain. He And McCain's jaw literally drops, and then he starts mouth-breathing for the next 22 seconds. It is very much a deer in headlights look, and I think at that moment... It's kind of like fluffing up his feathers like a, uh, a turkey. I think if you, go to, if you go to my website and you watch that YouTube video where Obama says your health care fine will be nothing, and McCain actually goes, what, nothing? And then he just sits there. The only word for it is a gog. He is a gog for the remainder of the clip. But in his head, you know that McCain is thinking about whoever fed him that question, and he's going to fire them. 
Whoever whoever it is told McCain to bring that up, that guy was sacked about 15 seconds after the debate. McCain was on his blackboard going, I want you to fire that SOB right now. And then He's get rid of his family. And, what, and, and, and the Sharpie thing. And there were moments last night you could actually hear the scratching of the Sharpie on the legal pad. And I just sat there kind of just forget what the, what the hell it was. Here we got this one. Uh, this email is right about the, um, it says, um, let's see, there was an email I just got about the, uh, about the Sharpie writing. Mm. Oh, here we go. Um, McCain would pick up his pen and start writing something down about it as the moderator is literally five words into the intro of the debate. Did you see what they were writing with? Sharpies. Is this because they were plumb out of the giant pencil, uh, the giant pencils that they give kids in preschool? Um, so, uh, blah, 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 blah. So they go, but the, uh, we kept pondering what was on the legal pad. And I think for the next debate, for whoever it is, both candidates, they ought to have like little lapel cameras so you can see what's on the legal pad. I mean, if they, they should have to show, show it at the end of the debate. They hold it up in front of the camera. Here's another weird thing from last night, and I thought I was the only one who spotted this. Uh, Rick. No one has mentioned this autism issue. McCain and Obama both referred to Sarah Palin as having a special compassion and knowledge with autism. Her child's special need is Down syndrome. Why did they talk about Sarah Palin's special needs and then immediately go to autism? I noticed that, too, which was weird. I think it must be they both of them, because let's, you know, the end of the day, they're both just, you know, they're both just hucksters and politicians trying to get elected. Everybody knows that. So they both must have focus groups that told them autism was a thing that American parents really, especially now, respond to as a hot-button issue. And obviously, you know, it's a thing that affects a lot of people. But they did go directly from Sarah Palin's kid with Down syndrome to autism. And I think they must have both rehearsed how to use one as a springboard into the other because they know that it pulls well or something. It works well with the dial group or, you know, whatever. Here's Tim Riley. So in focusing on the economic woes, John McCain says we are hurting and very, very angry. They're innocent victims of greed and excess on Wall Street and as well as Washington, D.C. And they're this angry. Later in the and they have every reason to be angry. And they want this country to go in a new direction. <laughs> I, uh, I really feel like we missed the ball there by not having the... Uh, by not having new direction as one of the drinking lines. I, there must have been uh, 15 or 30 utterances of new direction last night. All the time, constantly. Mm -hmm. Every time they opened their mouth, new direction came out. And even out. with McCain in his closing state, uh, statement, he's just like, I want to take it in a new direction. And, and I, I think he actually that. said at one point, what did he say? Did he say? I think it was, it was something like satisfying or desiring. He did say something very similar to the American people desire a new direction. I, who can disagree? Here's Tim Riley. Uh, John McCain says uh, Obama's plan will create class warfare. Why would you want to increase anybody's taxes right now? Why would you want to do that? Because anyone, anyone in America, <laughs> when we have such a tough time, when you know, these small businesses like Joe the Plumber are going to create jobs unless you take that money from him and spread the wealth around. I say so we go to Joe the Plumber's house right now and take his money by force and his television. I think Joe the Plumber <laughs> ought to be investigated because if he doesn't have a plumber's license in the first place... And he's telling the general public he's a plumber. That's that's a good point, Tim. Does he need a license to be a plumber? Yes, you do. And he's he doesn't have a license. Plumbing because it suits your fancy. What do we really know about Joe the Plumber, if that is his real name? Here's another thing I wonder about Joe the Plumber. Well, first of all, the and this is a reference going back several years now. Every time they said Joe the Plumber, because they didn't show a, a photo of him last night, they were just using, using that phrase to describe him. Or I a kept, plunger off to the side. I kept picturing that, that jackass from Joe Millionaire 
Remember that guy, that, that tool that we watched on the, the Joe Millionaire, where we all cared about that for like three months? Oh, I still have the VHS copy of the last episode of Joe Millionaire. Really? Do you watch it sometimes when you get lonely? No. Okay. Uh, but I kept picturing that guy. would say, well, what about Joe the plumber? And I would just picture that big uh, doofus from that Fox reality show, Joe Millionaire. So in my head, and then this morning, he's, not, he's some bullet-headed guy. So here's Tim Riley. Okay, so just one more, and then I'll quit. McCain disputes his relationship with President Bush's policies. Senator Obama, I am not President Bush. If you wanted to run against President Bush, you should have run four years ago. I think they were trying to make a catchphrase out of that, like, uh, hey, you're no John, you're, you're, you're exactly, no Jack Kennedy that's what thing. That's I thought but... when I said that. No, he I was... Saved a... it till the ver- he saved it to a very appropriate moment, anyway. It landed with a, with a thud, in my opinion. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, how are you? What's up? Um, uh, two things. Uh, one, uh, you were talking about nickel burns uh, with uh, text messaging and things like that. Right. It reminded me about four or five years ago. Uh, some country was just rolling out the euro. You know, they were doing it boom, 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 country by country. And uh, they got the nickel uh, content wrong, and they were putting in too much nickel because it cost less. Right. And people were actually getting burns from the currency. That's fantastic. So the people money was literally money. burning a hole not in your pocket but in your hand. Uh, can you imagine having currency that you can't touch? <laughs> I that's, mean, it's, that's, it's a gr- so it's, that's a Greek punishment right there. It's just insane. Uh, the other thing was, um, uh, as far as Joe the Plumber, um, and I'm putting a straight line from him to Scotty J, uh, I think there's people who want to believe that someday they'll be wealthy. And so, you know, because like uh, the, the basically democratic platform, um, what we call socialism, is really all about uh, helping people if they don't make that mark. Right. Because most people don't. And I think that a lot of people, younger people that don't have their licenses yet, um, they like to think that someday they're going to make it, uh, but in reality, those programs are there to catch the majority of the people who don't. That's right. right. It's, it's like by the time you're in your mid-30s, you realize you're a failure. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing, I'm sorry. And nothing, and nothing good will, will come of your life, basically. Well, I've, I've, I've certainly I'm, accepted that, too. I'm I think we all have. That's why we sit together every day. I'm just an unlicensed plumber <laughs> named Joe. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Have a good day. All right, you as well. Sarah, there's still time for you, but not much. But if you hang around with us... Yeah, this is a one-way ticket to nowhere right here, this room. I like this room, though. I think, but Jed Bartlett made a statement very similar to that on the the West Wing when he was talking about, I think they were actually talking about taxes. Mm. And Jed Bartlett uh, said something like, I can't, how did he put it? But he, you know, the thing about the American dream is not everybody attains it, but everybody feels like they will at some point. And that's why people don't want, you know, high taxes on the rich. It's because they all plan to be rich. And that that is probably a fair point, that it right. does hit at, it does sort of hit at this idea that, you know, that if you do become successful, you're going to pay, you're going to pay more taxes. And to say that you don't care about that is almost then like a reflexive admission that you probably won't end up being wealthy. Right. Now, that's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about that. And that's why we need people like Scotty J. Wait, why again? Well, because he believes in the old American dream that eventually he will make it through hard work. It's bootstrapping your your way to the top, Tim. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. Right. All right. Hey, just a couple of things, and then we'll uh, and then we'll resume like actual news here. First of all, did you see this thing about Madonna calling Guy Ritchie retarded? Oh yeah, I have it here somewhere. Yeah. I've got this. I got it from. I the... hope she does when I go to see her on the ninth in Vegas. You should offer her like an additional fifty if she does. She doesn't speak to me personally. I've got the. But just go down and lay it on the rail. I know. Here you go. There, look, torch. There's fifty in it. If you call your husband a retard, stand there with a scowl. Uh, so this is from the Daily Mail. With a 75 million pound divorce looming, Madonna couldn't resist launching a thin, thinly veiled, a thinly veiled attack on her soon-to-be ex-husband Guy Ritchie as she took the stage in Boston last night. 
Before she sang the song Miles Away, which Madonna previously claimed was inspired by Richie, she told the audience, This song is for the emotionally retarded. Maybe you know some people who fall into that category. God knows I do. The lyrics hinted a couple growing apart, with lyrics such as, When I'm gone, you'll realize I'm the best thing that happened to you. Um, anyway, she also opened the show um, with her track, I'm Not Sorry, telling the 20,000-strong crowd, that's right, I'm not uh, sorry. Um, and uh, whatever. So there you go. Of she's not sorry. She's humping it out with Alex Rodriguez now. And then, now do you imagine, do you, in, I don't know how, how Britain works. I don't know how it works in other countries. Now, does Guy Ritchie get... still an American citizen. Well, she probably has dual citizenship. I don't think she's never renounced. You don't lose your American citizenship, I think, unless you renounce it. Okay. You know, Mailman Chris is a dual citizen. He has citizenship in Canada and here. Can he deliver mail there also? What's that? Can he deliver mail in both countries? No, they don't get mail there, Tim. They only know what the government tells them because they're a socialist people. Oh, that's right, yes. Uh, all they know is waffles and hockey pucks. Well, they're standing in those mile-long lines to go to the doctor <laughs> to get splintery toilet paper. Um, uh, good evening, comrade. Instead of having the freedom that we have here. Their big flappy heads and their beady eyes. So there's a picture of Guy Ritchie walking down an alley looking all downtrodden. He's like Boulevard of Broken Dreams, oh, Guy Ritchie. No. So look at that photo. Oh, that's kind of a sad picture. Doesn't he look like James Dean in the Boulevard of Broken Dreams right there? He's all yeah. hunched over and, you know, like, uh, so Maybe he dropped something. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know how it works in Britain, but does he get alimony from Madonna? If he, if she has more money than he does, which she almost certainly does. Since your legal experts say the costly divorce could reach figures as high as $150 million, the source tells the Daily Mail the couple began fighting months back over a wide range of issues and ended up, uh, so they end up uh, speaking to each other through personal assistance. But I mean, if it's going to reach 100 but that would almost be certainly on her end. I mean, they, if may, not, they may not have a prenup, which yeah. I heard they don't. Really? Mm -hmm. Really. You'd think she would demand a prenup. I would think so, too. I can't fathom, but you know, here's what it is. Wait. I'm going to tie it back to something we were talking about two days ago. No, 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 Monday. I'm going to, this is going to bring it full circle here. So you weren't here for this uh, on Monday, Tim, but we were talking about Sarah Palin, Todd Palin. And I asked the question, what is it about Todd Palin that makes him such a douchebag? Because clearly he is. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you can do a spot poll right now. Hold on. Richie Bristol, is Todd Palin a douche? Yeah. So mm -hmm. you could ask 15 people on the street right now, Todd Palin, douche? And they would all say, yes, yes, I, I put that solidly in the douche camp. And we were trying to figure out why that is. And the first of all, the comparison I came up with is he is a lot like in the movie Star 80. He is a lot like Dorothy Stratton's boyfriend in the movie Star 80, where she is this playboy playmate, could have anything she wanted, but she just held on to this sleazy numbskull guy that seemed to have this weird hold on her. Just like, and we'll talk about this a bit later, the movie Casino, where Sharon Stone is a very strong, you know, iron-willed woman, hard as nails, tough as rocks, something is another thing. You know, but then again, James Woods has this weird sort of control over her Svengali style. That's what Sarah Palin seems like to me, where she obviously is a very driven woman, very motivated, obviously tough in some way, and I think very uh, cunning and clever and, and crafty and you know, not probably all that bright, but I think, but I think very, very driven in a Tracy Flick sort of way. And yet she's just got this mouth breather of a husband that I sense has a lot of sway over her and if you hear these things that came out about this corruption thing and keep in mind i don't care what happens in some jackhole town in alaska could not possibly care less i mean it doesn't matter at all but it is just interesting to me you read all of this and apparently he was just weighing in on her behalf and trying to have people fired and taking calls for her and like issuing memoranda and the conclusion we came to is that every strong-willed intelligent woman 
does have one particular ki- uh, type of douchebag guy for whom she is just a sucker. Uh-huh. Just some. No, that is true. She has some. Every intelligent, and not just women, every intelligent, independent, uh, self-possessed person you know has some weakness for some idiot that can control them. And so that is, I think, the thing maybe with Madonna and Guy Ritchie, right? Right. Because Madonna's the very definition of a driven, intelligent, motivated, tough, smart woman. I mean, she's she's the gold standard, her and Oprah. And yet here she is not signing a prenup with a guy who's got, a, I would say, his, the sum total of his wealth has got to be one-fiftieth of whatever she's worth. I mean, I know he's like a big deal in Britain and whatnot, but, I mean, she's Madonna. She's got to be one of the richest, well, she's got to be one of the 15 richest women in oh, the yeah. world. She has to be. And so the idea that she wouldn't sign a prenup with some guy just staggers the imagination. But there you go. And we all know that woman. We all know the girl that is just a... I like dumb guys with no money who ruin my credit and hunt my friends. Do you know any? So, you know, what are you going to do? All right, here's Tim Riley. A couple of quick housekeeping things. At the closing bell on Wall Street, the Dow Jones is up 415 points to 89.95. Now... On the roads, a rollover accident at the Rooster Rock State Park has closed down the westbound lanes of the I-84. Lifelight is at the scene. ODOT is preparing to shut down the freeway at Maluma Falls. Westbound traffic heading toward Portland can cross the Bridge of the Gods. The Bridge of the Gods. <laughs> at Cascade Locks into Washington. Because God lives on the Washington side. And then take SR-14 to the Portland area. What could be easier? We've got this email from somebody who says... Rick, I was in Costco putting an Italian pie in my non-Italian pie hole when I noticed a whole family looking at me, pointing, and whispering about me. Finally, one of the kids came over and asked, Are you the president from the movie Independence Day? Sadly, I had to reply, No, 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 I'm not. Did he send a picture of himself? Then I continued stuffing pie in my face. Best show ever. No, he didn't send a picture of himself at all. So I'm pleased to be sending a picture of yourself. I'm Dan. Apparently, he looks a lot like President Whitmore from Independence Day. Uh, P.S. Lou Dobbs. Clack, clack, clack. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Former Blink-182 drummer Travis Barker was a no-show for a major Hollywood party. That should have been the headline for last night's McCain performance. Blink's 182. Oh, that's great. Ah, right there. There it is. Uh, Barker had to skip what was billed as a welcome home benefit concert for himself and Hollywood DJ AM DJ whose name is actually Adam Goldstein. I guess I changed my name to AMDJ. What is it? DJAM. That doesn't sound grammatically correct. It's DJAM, is it not? Yes, DJAM. All right. That's backwards of what it should be. Well, anyway, he and Barker were the only passengers who managed to escape a fiery plane crash last month in North Carolina. Barker. Oh, damn it. Why did that happen just now? I'm sorry. Let me try that one more time. Not a problem. Barker. I barely knew her. Uh, Rick, I think the candidates about autism, uh, may, about autism, the candidates may have been referring to an interview with Jenny McCarthy. That makes me feel so much better. So they're not just talking to Joe Plummer and Joe Sixpack. They're actually talking to Jenny McCarthy, uh, whose child has autism. She's written a book about it where she said that she attempted to contact both candidates. I'm sure that was a call they were anxious to take. No, no, no. It's Jen- the Jenny McCarthy on the phone for you. You've got to pick up, Senator. Uh, where she tried to find out what their views are on autism. I don't really know that you can have views on autism. That's like having a view on cancer. I think we all vote bad, Jenny. I'd vote against it. Go back to taking off your clothes. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Is she still a brunette, or is she is she back to being blonde? Do we know? Who? Jenny she, McCarthy. She's blonde. All right. Here's Tim Riley. So now we understand the driver is pinned inside that vehicle, 
at I-84 blocking traffic at Rooster Rock. But is it? But is it? But it's not a serious injury. It's a, a trap, but not a. Let's see here. He is pinned inside the vehicle, and that's all we know at this time. So that's uh, Rooster Rock. Westbound, the crash is at exit 25. All westbound lanes remain closed, and police and fire units and life flight are now at the scene. Hey, guess guess what? Under British law, Guy Ritchie is entitled to half of her estate, and there is no prenup. So there you See, go. I told you. Jesus. Well, singer John Mayer isn't doing much to dispel rumors that he and actress Jennifer Aniston could be rekindling their relationship. Mayer? I barely knew her. The couple celebrated Mayer's 31st birthday together in Los Angeles at a members-only restaurant. A source says... Is the that two... the kind that has, like, a like a bad, snappy collar it around does, the outside? Yeah. <laughs> a source says the two seem to be having a great time. Does this restaurant come in beige? And look very happy together. Mayer and the 39-year-old Aniston. Not, not true. That's what it's, it says she's 39. They reportedly broke up in August, the birthday bash in L.A. at the members-only club. Followed a weekend trip they reportedly took to New York together. Right. By the way, Rick, Joe the plumber looks like the dad from Mallrats. I could totally see that. I'm going to go get some answers. Uh, let's see. I like to hear John McCain talk about the dad from Mallrats. Uh, the dad from Mallrats is also uh, what's-his-guts. He's a uh, Henry Portrait of a serial killer. Here's Tim Riley. New York's Attorney General demands that AIG recover bonuses and other payments from its former executives, or he'll take formal legal action against the insurer. The recently bailed out by the federal government company AIG is still afloat only because of billions of dollars in government loans. With more and more taxpayer money committed, Congress and others are expressing outrage over high-paying general at financial firms, and in particular some of the perks that come to light from AIG. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find what some of these perks are. Now, public anger has grown, of course, over the overcompensation of executives, like they can do anything to start that. Uh, the board awarded its chief executive officer cash bonus of over $5 million, with a golden parachute worth $15 million. Similarly, in February 2008, a top-ranking executive who was largely responsible for AIG's collapse was terminated, but was still permitted to be on the board and to keep $34 million in bonuses. Well, why not? What do you do with all this money? Seriously. If you have, Here's a dumb question, Tim. Because I'm planning to be rich. If you have $34 million, where do you put that? That is a good question, isn't it? I mean, I mean that sincerely. I'm not. That's not a rhetorical question. Because you always, you know, you hear about people who win the Powerball or whatever. First of all, let me, let's pull up a chair. If you win $100 million in the Powerball, am I correct to think that you, am I correct in thinking you take the lump sum because... I think you have a choice. No, no, but I, but I, well, they do give you a choice. But I'm saying, I have always been told that if you have a choice between yearly or monthly, you know, installment payments, basically, like a $100 million lottery or the lump sum, I have always been told you take the lump sum because then you invest it and the interest that it generates, you, you know, that over the term of, uh, you know, over the end of your, the rest of your life or whatever, it's actually going to be more money because of the interest generated. Do you believe that to be true? Yeah, that sounds about right. All right. So here's a dumb question. If some guy just died and left you $20 million tomorrow, who do you even call about that? Would, if you win... Because you were talking about this guy keeping $34 million. I think about this every time I read about some jackass winning the lottery. Because, of course, by definition, a guy who wins the Warren Buffett is not playing the lottery. So every time somebody wins the lottery, it's just some guy whose job it is to stuff, you know, toothpaste into a tube somewhere, uh, you know, in Schenectady. So if you're some guy that maybe doesn't have a lot of money and then you win $20 million, who, what is your first telephone call, financially speaking? I mean, honestly, who do you call about that? I would, I would call a lawyer first. 
So do you call, uh, but I mean, what kind of lawyer? Do you just call like some, uh, just some guy out of the phone book? Look, I got this $20 million. Yeah. I, uh, really? I would think so. And then they would I help would you out with that? Airport. Oh, they, they'd love to help you out with that, yeah. All right. And so then, the tw- and then they put the $20 million in what? What kind of savings do you put $20 million into? That is a good question. These are things that I sort of, I mean, and I, I don't even really know that I want it because the answer might be really long-winded and dry and dull and uninteresting and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I just, I would have no idea what to do with that. So I do kind of ponder those folks who are suddenly given millions upon millions of dollars and then just sort of look at the phone and look at the phone book and look at the phone and look at the phone book and then back at the lottery ticket and go, I have no idea where to start with it. I don't even know how to start cleaning out the, the junk drawer underneath the microwave sometimes. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, I'm sorry. Let's do this call. Then Tim Riley. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. So you were talking about powerful women with the douchebags? Yes. Well, you know, even Oprah had that uh, Stedman guy. She still has Stedman, doesn't she? she uh, I don't know. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> so you know... We hear about him. Hold on. So you know you know of Stedman's existence. You just don't follow Oprah closely enough exactly. to know whether Stedman is still around. I have seen Mad TV enough times to see her and Stedman parodied. I, and Stedman is his last name. It is Ralph Stedman. Is, 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 no, Ralph Stedman is the guy who, animated, who illustrated all of Hunter Thompson's books. What am I thinking of? Is Stedman his first name or his last name? Anyone? Sarah, you're a woman. Sarah, you've got a vagina. Is Stedman his first or last name? Um, I don't know. I've only ever heard him referred to by the one name. Well, maybe he's oh, like Cher. More episodes of yeah, Oprah Cher. Than I have. I have. No. All right. Yeah. So I, I thought he's like a total layabout kind of guy, isn't he? I guess. But I mean, what do you really have to do if you're with? I mean, look. Let's well, be honest. If you're Oprah's kept man, you're going to do whatever it takes to keep her happy. I mean, whatever. How many? It doesn't matter how many times a day she needs anything. You give it to her, and then you and then you look down, uh, and you cross yourself, and then you look up, and you thank your lucky stars. And you crawl back to your cage. You hook yourself into a woman who's got a billion dollars. You give her whatever she wants, whenever she wants it. And by the way, I am not a proud man. I have no shame. I have really no sense of self-respect. So I am really, uh, I am open to being a kept man. I mean, even more than I already am. So you're some chick, million dollars. You need me to do whatever, whenever you want it. That's fine. I can be bought. Let's have no illusions about that. All right. Thank you, sir. No problem. All right. Uh, Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Speak. Hi, hey, uh, hey, got some breaking news for you guys. Is this actual breaking news, sir, or is this breaking news because you made it up in your head? No, no, it's definitely breaking news. All right, hold on, let me find the... I have to just save this mutual sounder because we need it a lot I recently. Like mutual uh, let's, do you like this one, Tim? I've got four different mutual sanders. One of them's too upbeat, and sometimes the news ends up being bad. Then it's well, that, like, that, that one's for sports, I believe. <laughs> we have the upbeat one that ends with, there were no survivors. How about this? Breaking news? Yeah. That's is this one too upbeat? That seems, that, every time you play that, seems too upbeat. Okay, here's the thing. That, let's. They use that throughout the 70s. Let's yeah. test these right now. Let's test these by saying uh, something horrible over the top. Let me let me load all of these, uh, and then we'll say an awful headline over the top, and we'll find out which one really works the best for, you know, sort of downer news. All right. Um, and let's see. Um, uh... What can the uh, what can the awful headline be? Bless you, Sarah. Thank you. All right. And uh, I don't know. See now, we talk about bad news all the time. Now I have no bad headline. What's the worst headline we could possibly think of? Should I give you a clue as to what the headline actually? Now is, is? the story you have a downer story, sir? Uh, kind of. Yeah. I, I think oh wait, so. let's do this one. Let's do this one. Good involve po- fatalities. Hold on. And police found the body covered in cockroaches. No, that's too upbeat. How about this one? Police found the body covered in cockroaches. 
That also doesn't work. How about this one? And police found the body covered in cockroaches. These are all a little too jaunty. Uh, why don't you just give the, the, the news, sir? Oh, okay. So <laughs> we are, all of us are on the uh, I-84 heading towards Portland. We're yeah. trapped, trapped on the highway here just after Cascade Locks. There's been a major accident on the highway. Now, is this, Tim, is this is different than the accident you were just no, speaking No, this is the same one. This is the same one? Okay. Yeah. And so this oh, is... really? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, apparently we're being told we're going to be here for hours, waiting for the lifelight to fly them out of here. Wait, so are you on, are you on the road now? Yeah. So where, where are you at specifically, sir? About a mile uh, west of Cascade Locks exit. Uh-huh. Okay, a mile west of the Cascade Locks exit, so the traffic is, is just stopped? Parked. Everybody shut, everybody shut off. Oh, that sucks. That that really is unfortunate. That is a driver pinned inside the vehicle. And you're waiting on the life flight right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. we are. Right. And uh, the only nice thing is the people next door to me have a big motor home, and they said, come on in, we'll serve snacks. <laughs> so the crash is at exit 25. All the westbound lanes remain closed. And life light is on the way. All right. Thank you for are the update, sir. Actually, yeah, before you go, Sarah has a good question. So are you actually going to take them up on that offer? Are you going to go? Is it a motorhome, you said? Yeah. yeah so are you going to go? Home. Are you going to take them up on the offer? Uh, at least on the bathroom. I'm right. thinking they might be swingers, as in uh, to swing. It, it could be my lucky day. It's a motorhome. It must be an older couple. I'm guessing Hank Hill and his wife, you know, that type. Yeah. Well, luckily, Bob is not in there. How uh, How old would you say the couple is? Oh, they're uh, the retirement age. Retirement age? Would you say that they're attractive? Uh, no. Is the wife the <laughs> wife is not doable at all? Eh, sorry. What if you even were stuck on, there for on, like even on a good day? No. What if you were going to be stuck there for like a week? Uh, I mean, and you had adequate food and water, but you're going to be stuck there for a week, and then you know, but you're going to be staying in the in the in the motorhome with the couple. Is the wife doable under those circumstances? No. <laughs> no, no, unfortunately not. Well, that's uh. Oh, yeah, it, 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 it's a pass. Okay, it's, yeah, it's a pass all all week, all year, all the money. Well, let me get a chance. Call us back later and let us know how the traffic is and if they have anything good to eat. I, I sure will. If there's great snacks, uh, you know, I'll call back. All right, thank you, sir. Best show ever, Rick. All right, there you go. Thank you. All Make right. sure to ask for Pringles. Yes, let's do uh, one more and then uh, I'll play us into. Uh, actually, I won't play us into break. We'll do one more, then we'll break. We'll come back with Peter Carlin around the corner. Here's Tim Riley. Let's uh, do a Britney watch. Here's your Britney watch for Thursday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Riley. Britney Spears' new single, Womanizer, has made a record-breaking link to number one of the Billboard Hot 100 after debuting at 96 last week. Surprisingly, the track to Spears' first number one of the charts since their debut single, 1999, Baby One More Time. The song which appears on Britney's upcoming album, Circus, due December 2nd, is also number one on iTunes charts in Canada, France, Spain, and Sweden. Spears premiered the video for Womanizer, in which we see her in various states of undress, playing several different characters, including 
a naughty secretary, and a butt-kicking waitress. That's what I'm talking about. I had that song stuck in my head all morning, by the way. I actually watched rewatched the video again this morning. Really? We should play it sometime before the end of the show. We I should... actually have it queued because I wanted to. You're going to play it in the break? I sure could. All right. Uh, and uh, there you go. So, well, good for her. All right, there's your Britney watch for uh, Thursday on the Rick Emerson Show. Britney Watch for Thursday on the Rick Emerson Show. By the way, uh, Scott Daly is weighed in. Many banks, almost all, have investment bankers that can help with your millions and millions of dollars, Rick Emerson. Picking up on your sarcasm. Uh, he says, why this very bank has a special uh, private client service, a PSC service. A pri- oh, so a private client service? That's like when you go to Vegas and there's that room they won't let me gamble in because Larry Flint is in there embedding 50 grand a hand on blackjack. Uh, so they... The offices are laden in gold and diamonds. All right, thanks so much. Ass. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, here's what's coming up later on in the program. We'll talk to uh, the Oregonian TV critic known as Peter Carlin. Carlin, Carlin. We will have the glorious bastard of the week still to come. Snuff watch. Uh, we have a uh, geek watch on the way as well. Top five, and it's the worst song you've ever heard. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Here's the new single from Britney Spears. Back after this. give you those DVDs and then you just never watch them? No, I did. And what happened was I, I remodeled my office and I moved them somewhere and I forgot to bring them back. You put them behind a wall? They're behind sheetrock now and inaccessible? No, did you watch the uh, series? I did. Now, did, may I ask, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. All right. Did you find it to be uh, an exaggerated but perhaps true to life in some uh, ways depiction of Hollywood? Kind of exaggerated in a yeah. way. But enjoyable. But, but, then again, but then again, I can't say it's wrong. Because that would be like a circle above most people travel in. Right, right. So it is very possible that that's the way it is. That was what a sh- is his name on that? Jeremy Peter Dragon. Dragon. Peter, Peter Dragon. It's a show that, that was a show that was ahead of its time uh, because it came out in I think ninety nine or two thousand. And it was on mainstream TV. It was on Fox. But and they left in all the profanity. They just bleeped it. In other words, they didn't make it TV friendly. They filmed it with profanity and nudity, and then they would just bleep or blur it. But uh, but there's that. 
There's that great, I know I'm giving away the ending here, but there's that great uh, moment in one of the final episodes where, what's his name, Alan Rifkin or Adam Rifkin, whatever the, the writer whose name sounds like the other writer, where Peter Dragon is trying to get him to sort of become a player by firing somebody. He's like, fire somebody. It'll make you feel good. And so the guy brings him the crab cake or whatever, and Rifkin just goes, this crab cake is awful. Where, I mean, come on, where do you get the cojones, man? And then, and then and the guy shoots himself. Uh, the end. Nah, 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 nah. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, we were just saying during the break, though, a listener emailed me with this question. I can't really answer this. It says, why is Colonel spelled colonel? And then Tim said, you think it's British, but that doesn't explain it, because in, Brit in British, in Britain, they kind of pronounce things more or less the same way we do. There's no R in it. You still, how do you get from colonel to colonel, mm -hmm. is my question. And then you said, laugh is spelled loch, and then I was noting that phone is spelled pahone. Pahone. And then Tim said pahones, which reminded me of action. And we're back at the beginning. Hi, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up later, uh, we will have the Glorious Bastard of the Week. Today's top five. It's the worst song you've ever heard. We still have a geek watch to get to and a snuff watch as well. More headlines from Tim Riley in just a moment. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Now, you know, I meant to get a, a new sounder for... A the word colonel goes back to the time of the Roman Empire. Okay. So blame it on the Romans. I, as I do with everything, Tim. Let's welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson Show. We'll use this. Oregonian TV critic and general layabout Peter Carlin. Hello, sir. Hey. How are you? Feel, uh, are you feeling better than last night? Recovered? Was I, was, I, was I unwell last night? Let me put it this way. After the first can of Foster's Lager, you were unwell enough that you apparently maimed yourself while trying to open the second can. No, I wasn't trying to open the second one. I was doing that thing where you stick your fingers in the hole and kind of diddle around the, little, the thing that hangs inside for no apparent reason because you have nothing to do. And then, but then if you move your finger the wrong way, then you, get, you slice it slightly open. But I've been... I've, wow. but Yeah, I know. I know. I'm sorry. But you asked. Anyway, I was fine. And I'm fine now. Okay. Um, <laughs> you don't I, believe me. You think that I'm. Uh, you think that I'm not. Uh, I think you're. Myself. I think you're Jim Dandy, Peter Carlin. All right. So before we progress, let me just say thank you for being here for the running commentary last night. If I may say so, with all with all modesty, it was hilarious. It really was. It was. Uh, it was quite wonderful. Uh, and, so it was my pleasure. It was fun. It's up as a podcast. If you want to listen to it, it was Tim Riley, Peter Carlin, and myself providing uh, running commentary, and. I went home last night and watched some of CNN's uh, coverage of the, the, you know, the sort of recap of the whole thing. Bless you, sir. Uh, recap of the whole thing, and w which I, you know, I find to be pretty great. For the most part, very even and sort of balanced. It, but then they do that infuriating thing, which for a while they had stopped, but they've resumed it, where they go down to the spin room, mm. and they just interview just some, just some shyster with a mouthful of teeth who's talking about how his guy did a better job. And, of course, it's only just a big load. Uh, so that's the only time when yeah, I can't Yeah, you know, I've it. never really understood the whole point of that whole spin alley deal that they do because it's like you know i mean what no, no one there is going to tell you anything that you don't know they're going to tell right. you when they you know when you walk up to them those people with the signs you know that'll say like you know uh you know obama biden and then it'll be like the the lieutenant governor of connecticut who's you know or, or wherever rhode island is sitting there and he's saying well you know i just thought that uh obama did a terrific job i thought that he really handled the did it you know then you walk across to the to the McCain guy, 
he was going to say, well, you know, it was obviously a blowout. You know, the senator did a fantastic, you know, and it's sort of like, come on, man. Have you, uh, you've, of course, seen the documentary The War Room. Oh, yeah. Now, apparently there's a follow-up to that, and I haven't. Right. Is, yeah. it, is what, Return to the War Room? Mm-hmm. What is, what is the deal with that? It's like catching up with those people years later, oh. and uh, and I think actually what that is, is I think it's actually kind of maybe a longer or extended intro to a broadcast of the old uh, uh, documentary. So, so I may it, be wrong about ha- that. Has it aired already? I mean, can mm-hmm. I see this somewhere? I read about it in the Times the other day, so I don't know if, uh, to be honest, I've been a little detached from the pop cultural world. Well, that's because you're part of the. Uh, that's because you're part of the Eastern elite, Peter Carlin. That's true. Reading the Times while wearing a, an Angora sweater. That is so last year. Sipping a cup of tea with your pinky extended. I see how it is with you. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else? Well, okay, so blah, 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 last night, blah, blah, blah. Although Sarah apparently found some YouTube video that is, it is, it's just from the first debate, and it's all the moments where McCain stuck out his tongue like a reptile. you got to see it, Peter. It's like, it's like him doing it 80 times just over and over again. Like he's trying to what? catch a room full of flies. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, actually, I, I think The Daily Show did a thing where they, or Colbert or somebody showed him doing that. Uh, and then they, they, they ran it uh, uh, next to video of like a lizard doing the same thing, and it was remarkable how similar they looked. You had a great moment last night, by the way. Actually, several. You kept going back to this thing of this is a thing that you said about four times last night, and every time it was just as funny as the preceding time when you said. Really, I, I can't say this strongly enough. The only chance McCain has is if uh, Obama takes off his uh, face mask to reveal that he is, in fact, a lizard. <laughs> which is like the weirdest thing, but which fantastic. And well, you kind of kept going back to that well, and you know what? It was funny every single time. So well done. Thanks. Uh, I have a you know, that was just the Fosters talking. On the, uh, on, on the TV tip, I have a, a couple things I want to talk about. First of all, Mad Men, I cannot seem to find a definitive answer on this anywhere. How many episodes are left in this season? I think they do 13, so however many there have been, uh, that minus, uh, 13 minus that, <laughs> that's, that's how many there are. Sorry, it's been a while. What can I say? I think they're getting close. I don't, I don't know, Admiral Stockdale. Uh, what, what are you trying to say? Who am I? What am I doing here? Because last week's episode was the Jet Set. Yeah. We went to the AMC website, and right. the AMC website claimed one more. Really? And yet the show's Wikipedia entry, which, granted, is just Wikipedia, but the show's Wikipedia entry and, in fact, Ain't It Cool News, which is sort of a clearinghouse for, for geek news, said that there were two more episodes. Yeah, I think there may be two more. So, all right. But so, wait, if you went to AMC, you might have been looking at the page that they've already set up for next week's episode. I don't know. It's all very confusing. But uh, but that, that episode of Mad Men that aired on Sunday, I mean, I know it's Thursday now, but you know, everybody's going to have to be okay with this. It was one of the best that show has ever had. Yeah, it was really, it was beautiful in a weird way. And there was a whole lot of, you know, I blog about that on my blog on OregonLive.com. Um, and uh, I do, like, Monday morning kind of deconstructions of the previous night's thing. And it was interesting. A lot of – there was a real uh, division between people who, you know, and serious madmen um, aficionados who really had – were having none of that episode, just didn't like it at all because it was such a departure. Why? What was there to not like about that episode? Well, because it kind of it, – it veers off into this weird sort of dream space kind of – uh, it was like one of those, you know, it was it was like a dream in a weird way. Because Say Fellini. The Say usual it. rules. Uh, I was gonna go. Uh, yeah, I was gonna go Bergman, but whatever. Anyway, um, you know, he left uh, New York and they flew off to L.A. to go to this this you know, uh, aero you know, rocket industry right. 
uh, convention, and he met up with these strange people and ended up kind of going off to Palm Springs with this beautiful, young, and uh, and <laughs> sexually assertive young woman. Well, how Joy. great, by the way, just in terms of production design and shot composition, how beautiful, yeah. in a weird way, was, though, that sequence when it's like uh, Pete Campbell and Don Draper at that, like, you know, that space technology whatever meeting, right. and it's just an endless room of guys, white shirts, black ties, uh, you know, and then they're doing the slideshow projector. It was just, it was really beautiful in a stark kind of way. Yeah. Well, but then you end up in that beautiful modernist house right. in Palm Springs with just all window, wall, you know, clear walls and looking out into the endless blue sky and, the, you know, and and it's just like a whole new universe and all these strange kind of louche people sort of lurking around, none of whom had jobs or you know, or any any apparent responsibilities. And the, as much as, I mean, I really do love heavy-handed symbolism just more than life itself, and there was that great moment when uh, Don Draper and the previously discussed sexually willing young woman are in the bedroom, and he says, what's your name? And she says, I'm Joy. Yes. <laughs> Which is great. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, but uh, one of the, one of my, uh, uh, the people, correspondents on the, uh, the Idiot Box blog wrote in saying, like, I get it. Her name is Joy. Why don't you hit me with a hammer while you're at it? Uh, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that really resonates with me, though. I, and I don't typically, I, I don't truck much with uh, with surrealism uh, most of the time. And and I, it, I will say actually, it wasn't a dream sequence, but I, but dream sequences are just the bane of my existence. I despise dream sequences, and th this threatened to become kind of like that, but it never, it never did because Don himself. It fits so well with Don's desire to escape and to lose himself. Mm -hmm. You know, Don and Draper, and I'm stating the bleeding obvious here, he is such a contradiction in that half of him is constantly working to become a, uh, you know, more ingrained in that Madison Avenue button-down world, but half of him is always looking for the escape hatch. Yeah, yeah. Can I just say for the record one more time, though, that you've got to be less hard and fast in your antipathy toward dream sequences, because while some people play fast and loose with dream sequences and just use them as a way to, you know, as kind of a dramatist, you know, lazy place where mm -hmm. no rules apply, that there are times, particularly I'm thinking about the Sopranos episodes um, that involve dreams, where these people understand dream logic and, and that kind of, you know, Freudian symbolism that, 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 that a lot of dreams are constructed from, and they are extraordinarily careful in getting all those, all, making all those connections in precisely the way that your own subconscious mind would make those connections. I, yeah. And I think that one of the things about this, the dream logic of this episode, which was in many ways a, um, you know, a dream episode, was because it detached completely from the logic of the series had sort of laid out right. as kind of realistic portrayal of uh, early 60s, New York, you know, button-down New York City. And now here we are off 3,000 miles away in a completely different environment doing behaving in a completely different way. And you do, it's also great because it, it shows such a stark difference between then and now in the sense that it was so easy to just get off the grid that you know, there was no cell phone, no pager, no internet, no yeah. instrument. All he had to do was just walk out of the hotel and go somewhere else, and he was gone. I yeah, mean, yeah. he was absolutely and they, gone. They lost his luggage too, which yeah. was a nice touch. And uh, so it was just—it was really quite wonderful to watch and to see the way that Don first resisted, but then was absorbed into that very sort of ex exaggerated Southern California mm -hmm. existence. 
was quite beautiful and I, yeah. uh, quite something to watch. I have one last observation to make that occurred to me in the course of uh, watching and then writing about that episode, which is that whereas we've gotten used to these series, these sort of heavily, uh, you know, these character-driven series being kind of like um, like like novels, mm-hmm. sort of you know going chapter by chapter, I think in some ways, and this is really interesting to me, that this season of Mad Men has become more a, a series of interconnected short stories. And this was one, you know, and maybe right. this one will turn into kind of a novella, it seems like. You know, but but it's like, for instance, the whole business with uh, with uh, uh, Jimmy Barrett, that whole, you know, that, right. that, that illustrated something important, and it was an interesting chapter, but it wasn't like, that's not leading. I don't, I'm not sure if we're going to see the Barretts again. No. I mean, that kind of, that, that, that plot line kind of came and went. Which is, which is great in a way, because that is kind of, that's how real life actually is. Yeah. Um, but it illustrates something, and in the same way that there is that digression with Father Gill in Brooklyn with right, Peggy, right? You know, and Peggy is sort of developing, or the stuff that's going on with Sal, you know, and uh, and uh, and Cosgrove. I have to tell you, speaking of that, there was that show, Mad Men. You saw part of the genius of that show, and the way it can turn on a dime, and that's Matthew Weiner, and that was the sequence when. They're all in the room, and they've gotten the donut delivery or whatever, and it's like Ken Cosgrove, Ken Cosgrove accounts, and Peggy and Joan Holloway and Salvatore is there, and then that guy Kurt, yeah. who's half of that sort of like very modern kind of European advertising duo, and talking about Kurt and Peggy going to see Bob Dylan, and everybody, they think it's, everybody thinks it's a date or whatever, and Kurt makes you know Kurt says you know no 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 I am I am the homosexual or whatever, and everybody everybody thinks it's a put, and there's that great moment where Kurt, Ken goes. I don't think that word means what you think it means. And Kurt says, you know, no, 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 I make love with the men. And Yes, and, I, I make love with the men, not and it's, the women. And he doesn't care what they think. And it's kind of, you know, and it's a laugh moment because there's a thing where Kinsey has the donut halfway to his mouth or whoever, and he goes, what? And it's it, it's a, you know, and you laugh. No, Kinsey's not there. Cost it's not Kinsey. It's, a, it's a, yeah, and he. Oh, know, no, or Harry, Harry. It's Harry, and he has, a, you know, that kind of a laugh line because you're laughing at just how, like, uptight and uncomfortable they are. Yeah. But the genius of that scene is then within three seconds, he turns that laughter into just this ugliness when they start talking about, you know, just, you know, well, I just don't want, I just don't want to work with one. I knew they existed. And then they, they show that, to- that shot on Salvatore and you see all of it, it's all on his face as he's realizing, like, these are the people with whom I work. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. Well, you know, the beautiful thing is that Kurt uh, completely disempowers them because right. he clearly doesn't Because he doesn't give a rat's ass. No, what yeah. they think of him. You know, he doesn't care. Because he's from Europe and it's a different thing. <laughs> But it was he. They did that great sort of Joss Whedon, Aaron Sorkin thing of lulling you in with a laugh, and then they kind of punch you with sort of the ugly reality. And it was uh, it was just very well executed. And um, the beautiful thing about that moment is that uh, Sal doesn't utter a word. Right, because he's he's because he's I would imagine just frozen, just has no idea what what is right to say. It's just all on his face. Uh, by the way, you're listening to KCMD Portland. Uh, let's see, and uh, one final thing here. Um, so the Shield. I'm assuming you're still up with Shield. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so we, we got what six left? Something like that. We're at halfway through this final season. Well, this is okay. This is really hard. Uh, <laughs> I don't know because I got them all or most of them in advance, oh, and then watched the, and watched a whole lot of them, and then haven't been able to sit down with it for like four or five weeks. And I've been a little so anyway, I'm a little out of sync. Uh, because because you were able to see almost all of them in advance. Yeah. That's well, right. I saw well, a lot point. of them. I, I may even be behind now. I don't know. You don't know what with the vast array of Shield DVDs you were sent earlier on in the year. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, so I, I do have to say that it, the show makes me. Don't get me wrong. I love the Shield. 
I, I've this a bad season of the Shield, still better than most other things on TV. This season is frustrating for me though, because I, I just I don't care about all of these threads they have run out with this Pizuela guy and the Armenian mob, and I just I don't care. I I wish that I could somehow flop this season with the John Cavanaugh season with Forrest Whitaker. I feel like this show needs to be resolving internally, in other words, in an enclosed space where it all comes into the barn and it is all this final chess game trying to pin Mackie, you know, to something. I, I It's still good. I, I wish that they would... I find a lot of these outside story arcs to be very distracting. I really want them to bring it back in and just play a close inside game with Mackie for the, the remainder of the series. <clears throat> so, you know, well, your mileage may vary, I suppose. Yeah, I got a, uh, I got a, I, I don't know. I was sort of intrigued by it. I mean, but, uh, but we'll see. Again, my feelings in it are a little chilly because, yeah. or just distant because I. It, you know things that I don't know. That could be, but it also, could, but it's also been weeks, so there's things I've forgotten. Yeah. And so. and and they seem to have completely dropped the the, the Terry Crowley thing. Uh, you know the the, the ki- Vic killing that cop in the first episode. That that seems to have just gone away, unless they're going to spring it on us again at the end. It's. Oh, they, I don't think it's gone away. They. Uh, see, Wait, the, you go back to the uh, go back to the previously on the shield moments, and they keep bringing that back up again, even though there's no immediate. Oh, see, I skip those, so I guess that's a. Uh, but they have run out. Here's the thing. The great thing about it, they've done this kind of murder on the Orient Express thing, mm-hmm. where they have run out so many possible ways that Vic Mackey can get hosed in the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have set up about nine different ways that it could all implode for that guy, and now you just don't know which one it's going to be, if any of them. Um, you know, they've said a bit. Ronnie is going nuts. His daughter is like diamond into the man. Uh, you know, so it's I, I I will be I will be curious to see how they wrap it up. I mean, again, I have, I have some problems with this season, but it's still it's still very very solid. Still very well done. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, I know you got to go because you got to get back to a, your book your book writing mm. and so forth. You sound really into it. It's uh, some days are, are better than others. Let me just tell you a little uh, little piece of advice. As, yeah. as Stephen King once said. You've got to realize sometimes you're doing good work, even when it feels like all you're doing is shoveling S from a sitting position. <laughs> so let that be your uh, let that be your Diogenes lamp, sir. Sweet. All right, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian and from his house and also blogging at OregonLive.com. Yes. Yep. All right. Thank you, Peter. All right. All right. There you go. Hello, Tim Riley. Oh, hello. I'm, I'm reading the the gossip should have no friends column in Willamette Week, and I noticed the name of someone I know. Who is that person? It says that an amazing radio icon. Are they writing about Carl Magnuson again? An icon? An icon. Yes. Who would that be, and what would that radio person be doing? Hold on, i got ick on me. Well, you have to go to the uh, Willamette Week today and read, or go online to wweek.com and look for the Gossip Should Have No Friends column. Uh, that is true. The, the word on the street, Tim, among yeah. the young people, is that uh, the Willamette Week... Is it the Willamette Week or is it Willamette Week? It just says Willamette Week. I I don't like that when they drop the the. You know, like with the Ramones, the band the Ramones. You know, there's no the there. Technically, it's just Ramones. What do you listen to? I like Ramones. Mm-hmm. Well, I hate that. It should be a newspapers the. Newspapers are cutting back these days. <laughs> you have to lose the the. They can't afford the the anymore. We've had the cut consonants by 20% and vowels by a third. So, uh, yeah, if you go to uh, Willamette Week uh, or if you go to, actually, uh, the rumor is if you just go to rickemerson.com, yeah. there's a link directly to the article. Um, and as a bonus, there's the gayest photo ever taken of me, uh, or of someone, of, of, of whoever the article's about. I'm not saying it's about me. Oh, before I forget, 
I'm sorry, that, that last segment ran over time, Tim. I apologize. Of, like some TV show that's on on the weekends in the Portland metro area. That's what I hear, but it's... Uh, that's I what I heard. About that. yes. And maybe this person has done a lot of work in radio, but they haven't really done a lot on television, so it's kind of exciting to see their face on television. Finally so get the recognition they deserve. Make everyone who ever opposed them suffer. Hello. Hello. I'm sorry, Tim, that last segment ran way over time. I apologize. Well, it's too late to take that back now. You can't put that toothpaste back in the tube, Tim. Right. I do want to give a shout-out to Sean, who listened to us. He works in security on TriMet. So even though we, we criticize him all the time, they still like us. Well, he has job security forever, though. He does. I mean, really, working security on TriMet? Mm -hmm. uh, what is your job? Well, my job is to bail out the ocean. All right. Then we have that rollover accident at Rooster Rocket. has closed the westbound lanes of the I-84. Life flight, uh, they were trying to get some guy out of a car there. So the westbound traffic heading toward Portland can cross the Bridge of the Gods at Cascade Locks into Washington, then take SR-400 and circle back that way. I have a question about the Bridge of the Gods. Yes. I don't know very much about it. Um, I know a lot about the Bar of the Gods. That's it. Okay. So that the, might help. the Bridge of the Gods, and whenever I say gods in a raspy voice like that, it's because of South Park, the movie, mm -hmm. where they take Kennedy to the ER, and George Clooney, the doctor, like replaces his heart with a baked potato, and he goes, the rest is up to God. Um, so the the Bridge of the Gods, what what is up with that? An area man wants to know. Why do they call it that? I mean, it was built by God. Or well, Tim, we were all built by God, you know, really Amen. in a in a sort of philosophical sense. But I mean, that bridge is pretty recent, right? Like 1950s, something like that. I mean, is it? A, in other words, it's not like a, a previous. It's not a, a bridge that occurs naturally in nature. Oh, uh, not one originally built by God way back when. I guess my point is. That thing in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, that's a bridge of the gods because it's a piece of stone that just exists. So it's named after... Oh, I'm sorry, Tim. Go ahead. No, I, I, I was looking this up. I mean, there's the St. John Bridge, the Ross Island Bridge, the Hawthorne Bridge, Bridge of the Gods. Because the bridge is named after a famous geologic event also known as Bridge of the Gods. Hmm. And what is that? I know the... Um, I know the, uh, the Indian legend behind the Bridge of the Gods, but I don't know why they actually named... Here's the story my mom told me growing up. We would drive through the gorge on the way to see my grandpappy uh, growing up. My mom told me a story that may or may... I mean, it's obviously not true, but she told me that there was this sort of legend about two gods on either side of the Columbia River. This is a story that uh, you know, presumably indigenous peoples had told. The story was that there were, there was, uh, there were two gods, one on either side of the Columbia River, and they were fighting over a woman, as is always the case in these stories. And the gods were fighting over this woman, and they were throwing stones, large boulders, at each other across the Columbia River. And as the gods fought by throwing boulders at each other, it actually filled the river and created a bridge from one side to the other. Hmm. And that there was a, ge a geological event, but that the sort of Indian myth or legend behind it, whatever the story, whatever you want to call it, uh, is that these gods had built the bridge by throwing stones at one another. And I choose to believe uh, that that was a story told, just because it's interesting. Well, this bridge was built for $602,000. What? This bridge was built for $602,000 back in 1926. Oh. It is the third oldest bridge on the Columbia River. It would freak you out that people in 1920 could make bridges, and I couldn't do it now with all the time and money in the world. I would have no idea how to do it. I mean, they can do it even back in the days of the Romans. Yes, that they is true. Bridges before the 1920s, if you look back in history. When was the first bridge built, do you think? Really? I mean, who had that idea? It's going to be another Pahone conversation. I'm just wondering who had that idea. Like, 
Maybe, maybe we could make a, a road that goes across the river. And if everybody else went, that's stupid. You're, you're a retard. Get me, you, you're going to you're going to spend a night in the box, John. That's a dumb idea. The first bridges were na- uh, made by nature, Rick Emerson. Well, that's that's not an answer. That doesn't count. But doesn't it? That's like saying no, that's stupid. That's like when I say who invented the wheel, and you go, well, nature invented the wheel when it made round things. That doesn't count. That doesn't count as inventing anything. That's requiring too much thinking. It really is. Uh, are these people calling about the Bridge of the Gods? Here's what's coming up in this hour, by the way. Uh, we'll have today's top five. Um, so we had Fatboy Roberts from KUFO who counted on his top five teen films. This ca- apparently came out of some argument, discussion, whatever, with his with his girl. So she's going to actually come in and do her side of the equation today. Glorious Bastard of the Week, worst song you've ever heard. We have to do that snuff watch today as well. We got to do that. Did All you right, guys have to build little uh, wooden bridges when you were in high school and then see how much weight they could have on them before they crumpled? No. Oh, they didn't have science at my school. We couldn't okay. afford it. Yeah, that was kind of a fun class to give you all these little sticks and you have to build something that the structure can um, withstand a certain amount of pressure. That's it, because then you extrapolate it out and you see, like, if it were a real bridge. Then they probably do that thing of, well, if it were a real bridge, Sarah, you know, your bridge held a pound mm-hmm. and a half. If it was a real bridge, that would be 6,000 million tons or whatever. Yeah, I was in this thing where I was a little called Odyssey of the Mind where you could do, like, like little projects with, you know, different people your own age. Odyssey of the Mind totally sounds like some stoner record from the 60s. Uh, Odyssey of the Mind, that's what we'd do. We'd build those bridges mm-hmm. and then they'd put weights on and you'd go against other schools and then see who built the best bridge structure and what could withstand the most weight. Odyssey of the mind. Dancing around in bell-bottom pants. Hey, you're listening to Johnny Sunshine. We're taking you on another late night Odyssey of the mind. Here's Miles Davis for all you boys and girls out there. Play Misty for me. We're go- That's creepy. Hey, you know that woman, uh, who is that? Betsy Palmer? Is that the woman who does Play Misty for me? Is she the one who plays... The stalker and play Misty for me. Oh, gee, that was so long ago. I think she's also Jason Voorhees' mother in Friday the 13th. I'm not entirely sure about that, but I think Jason Voorhees' mom uh-huh. in Friday the 13th is the woman who stalks Clint Eastwood. Sarah, have you seen Play Misty for me? No, but... Shut I, your mouth. I know. Really? You told me, we've talked about this for years, and I always intend to, and then I have not. So this guy puts this little reel of tape on and takes out for two hours, and is still playing when he, he comes back. back and still, Was it maybe he was going at seven and a half? Oh, that could Not be. 15. That could be. Don't rate it like flawed radio movies make you so frustrated. Like characters in movies, like... I watched Urban Legend the other day. They got yeah. a, a CD game exchange for $2.50. And there's Tara Reid's character plays a saucy, um, like, DJ right. uh, on the college campus. And she's just wandering around the room with no headphones on, not even talking into the microphone, just speaking in the room. And it was just, it's so frustrating to me to watch it. See, and I've moved, I've had to move past that. I remember watching that movie Talk Radio, the Eric Bogosian film. Oh, yeah, that movie's hard to watch. And I love Eric Bogosian. I don't really care for the movie Talk Radio. But I, my friend Todd and I watching Talk Radio, and he's in like this oak-paneled studio that just, and I know everybody has this, where you watch a movie that shows your profession, and cops probably do this all the time, when you probably more than anybody else, cops and doctors probably see that and they go, that's crap. But in Talk Radio, he's in this huge studio that just stretches on forever, overlooks Houston because he's in the top of a skyscraper, like wood-paneled, like inlay everywhere, and it's like the, the floors are made out of marble. I remember watching it just going, are you, you know... Are really? Me? Come on. Um, but um, let me ask you this, Tim. Also, uh, hmm, this is weird. Are, we, are you going to talk about well, the Bridge uh, of the Gods? I, I was going to talk about that, Jessica Walter. Oh, yeah. Okay, so now is that her in um, in Friday the 13th? I'm looking here. Maybe Betsy Palmer plays the redheaded girl. Maybe it's Jessica Walter who plays the mom. It's Jessica Walter, the be. mom in Arrested Development. No, no, no. That's Jessica. Wait, now no, I don't no, even no. know. That is the same woman in Arrested Development. So Jessica Walter is the stalker from Play Misty for me? Yes. No, not Betsy Palmer. That now you no. gotta see it, Sarah. Come oh, on. Oh, I totally have. Come it. on. Come on, seeing Lucille Bluth be a stalker. Mm-hmm. In Play Misty for me is it's a messed up movie. Especially wearing yellow pants. <laughs> it's 
I mean, do you know the general thrust of the movie? Yeah, she's a stalker, and she said she was going to kill herself or kill somebody or something if she well, doesn't play it. I'm not spoiling anything by telling you this. It was uh, after a night of indiscretion. It, she is a groupie. Uh, she, Clint Eastwood does a late-night jazz program uh, on a San Francisco radio station. Mm, I don't think it's... Is it not a late night jazz show on a San Francisco radio station? It's not San Francisco. Really? It, it's in that. It's along that peninsula. Name some cities around there. Um, Whoville. I got nothing. I don't know. But but he but he does a late night jazz show. He's now, like, where he, was he the mayor? Carmel. Around that area. Okay, so he so he yeah so he's doing this late night jazz show, and this sexy voiced listener calls up. And she's like, well, you should play Misty. Misty's a song. Play Misty for me. And he's like, okay, we'll get it right on for you. Whatever. And, he play- and then she calls back, and they flirt. And then, of course, because he's a, you know, because he's like a knuckle-dragging DJ, he goes and he humps it out with his listener. Because that's what you do. Uh, but, of course, she turns out that she's crazy. So it's like Fatal Attraction, but she's a radio groupie. Okay. I think it was Monterey Peninsula. Yeah, it was around Monterey. Maybe. Because I remember because I was going to go to work there. I do believe, thing. by the way, play Misty for me, I think uh, Clint Eastwood composed a lot of the jazz music for that film. Like, if you watch Dirty Harry, mm-hmm. he uh, composed a lot of the jazz for Dirty Harry uh, because he's, a, he's quite an accomplished musician and so forth. Oh, my. I have things to do. I'll how did we get over to this play Misty for me thing? I don't even know how it started. We got these phone calls. We get to the uh, top five here in a second, and then when you come back, Tim, we may or may not read this story about. I'm trying to figure out what city this took place in. This horrific story about this Barack Obama thing. I don't know. We might. I don't know. I'm going to turn it face down for now. Let's do these calls. Then we'll do the top five. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Yo. Uh, so, Bridge of the Gods used to be a naturally occurring bridge before old Whitey came through and built a dam. Whitey ruins everything, sir. Absolutely. So, uh, but so it was a naturally occurring bridge, meaning it was just like a bunch of rocks that had somehow rock landed there. Over the river. Yep. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Thank you. No problem. Man. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, hey, to add to that guy's uh, uh, story, it was actually about 300 years ago. There was a huge landslide that that essentially blocked the Columbia River, um, slid about 200 feet of uh, dirt and rock in there, and eventually the river kind of eroded underneath it, and there was actually a land bridge there for a little while. Interesting. All right. It eventually eroded away, and then we built the dam, and like you said, and flooded the whole damn thing. So. All right. Thank you. So to speak. Bye. All right. If you uh, read One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, there's a lot of flashback sequences with Chief Bromden where he talks about uh, the man, you know, uh, coming through and ruining everything by damming up the uh, you know, the river. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson interview show. with the nameless person who hosts that TV show, and mm-hmm. it's very good. Thank you. I, uh, he thanks you. I don't know what you're talking about. Look over there. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Dan, Dan yes. from Salem calling? Yes, hello, sir. Hello, Rick. It was Jessica Walter, who uh, uh, the mother from Arrested Development, that was the stalker from uh, Play Misty for me. All right, see, so now I have to go back and watch it just for her. All right. Sorry. Excellent. Okay, thank you, sir. Welcome. All right, there you go. I appreciate that. So, by the way, everybody is saying they heard the same story growing up in the Northwest, that there was the Indian legend or whatever you call it, about the two gods fighting over a woman, a girl, and throwing stones at each other. And then they threw so many stones that it created this natural land bridge in the river. And I'd forgotten this part um, at the end of the story um, that, um, oh, here we go. Mount Adams was one god, Mount Hood was the other, and they fought over St. Helens the Princess. Throwing uh, stones at one another, and then the stone throwing created. Saint Helens, well, in the, well, that in the legend. Okay. That Adams and Hood are the gods fighting over the girl who is Saint Helens, and then they threw stones at one another, and the stones landed in the river and eventually built up and created the land bridge. That is exactly the story I heard growing Interesting. up. Interesting. So, uh, you know, you know, 
All right. Well, whatever. Should I bring Bobby in? Uh, is she here? I don't know. Hey, yeah. Richie, is Bobby here? Yep, she's here. I see her. Okay. Let's, uh, yes, let's, yes, have some. Let's do that now, shall we? All right. Let's, uh, let me move this chair out of the way. I have no, uh, I don't have any intro music or anything here. Hold on, let me see if I can find some appropriate. Should I just play the top five thing? I mean, that's intro. I'm trying to find something that's, uh, you know, sort of like a welcome to the, wait. There, we'll call that good. All right. Uh, and your headphone, uh, your headphones plug in, uh, under there. Are you still with the whole thing and the whatnot? The, uh, the... Hey, hey. All right, so we had, I think, last Thursday. So uh, Fatboy Roberts from Rock 101 KUFO came in, and he did his top five teen films of all time, which is really like a big, that's biting off a lot, man. It's like some sword from the stone nonsense. And I don't think there's ever going to be a, a perfect, you know, like right list with that either. Because there's just too many. Yeah. It's like that time, and you remember that I resisted for the longest time. I resisted doing the top five TV show theme songs. I mean, I, you know, I tried to do like top five cartoons and top five sitcoms, but the top five TV show theme songs is just too many. But then, of course, I eventually just gave in to the temptation, uh, like George Bush with Iraq, and and then I, I regretted it because everybody's like, you're a retard, your list sucks. So when when Bobby was like, I'm going to do my top five uh, teen films, I mean, I knew it was going to end badly because it's not so much what you put on, it's what you leave off. You can you can really justify putting anything on the list, but it's trying to justify why something has been excluded. And that's the difficulty. Mm -hmm. So I guess this whole thing of his came out, out of a discussion he was having uh, with his uh, lady friend, also named Bobby. Hello. Hi. Hello. How are you today? Good. Good, good. You look nice. Thank you. All right. Thank you for joining us. So where Now, is this true? Have I got the story correct that you guys were are you eating or doing some couple thing, and then the whole discussion happened? Yeah, we were at dinner. Um, we do this thing back and forth, because I'm the crazy high-fidelity fan mm -hmm. of Top Fives, and it just will yell one out and then go back and forth. So mm -hmm. one of you throws out the the actual the concept for it, and then you got to go. Yes. All right. And so T movies came up, and it became an hour long discussion back and forth because no. I think I was rather unhappy with some choices and just back and forth. Well, because top fives can be, I mean, any of these things they can be very, uh, they can be divisive, and and they can cause a lot of they can be passionate discussions. Nick Hornby, I think actually in the book, this isn't in the movie, but I think in the book High Fidelity. No, 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 it's not on High Fidelity. It's in Nick Hornby's book, Long Way Down, which you should avoid. It's not a good book. I made it through about four chapters of that, and I'm like... Oh. The audiobook's better, but still not good. Is it because it abri is it abridged? It's abridged, and they have five different characters reading instead Excellent. of one narrator. So I finished it. It was confusing, because the way it was written, it was so confusing to separate one from the other. Yeah, the, yeah it's much better, because you can actually pick the characters apart, because he doesn't identify them when they speak. There's a great oh. section, though, in, in the book, Long Way Down, where he talks about music rage, and he says... Music rage, and I have to paraphrase kind of badly, but he says music rage is that sort of anger when you're discussing music with somebody and they clearly just don't know what they're talking about and their music taste is wrong. And he says with music rage, you want to beat them to death, but you realize that would be too fast and not nearly painful enough. And he talked about how music rage was the worst kind of rage. And we've all had that moment where you're talking with somebody and you go, yeah, well, I really think... Uh, yeah, I really think, uh, you know, Bob Dylan is a great lyricist, and really uh, he worked with simile and metaphor and really found a way to say, probably in symbolism, what he couldn't have said, uh, you know, in a literal sense. And then, you know, and whoever it is goes, hey, sucks, I'm more of a Toby Keith man myself. And then you just kind of go, I will kill you. I will kill you, and no one will find your body. And so list-making kind of does that thing in general. So this is your answer to to his top five team movie list your version correct all right do you have any uh clarifying statements or qualifying statements to make in other words particular genres do you have any rules for creating this um i did have uh some criteria i used but no it's not 
like a subgenre or anything. Um, basically, I wanted movies that were geared toward teenagers because mm-hmm. there's a ton of teen movies that are actually geared towards 20-somethings, 30-somethings. Right. Because it's reflecting on that high school experience. Like, But I'm a Cheerleader is a great example. Right. It's not a teen movie. Like, teens are going to watch it and not identify at all or not really understand. Um, so that was really my criteria is that it needed to identify with teens. And then it needed to be, because it identified, like this is why the particular number one on Bobby's list is not on my list, mm-hmm. is Ferris Bueller is a teen that everyone wants to be, but it's incapable of being as a teenager. So it had to be some sort of an accurate reflection in some way Correct. of real teen life. Yeah, because you could never be Ferris, Ferris Bueller unless you are literally being written by someone who's gone through the teenage years and had time to reflect on that. All right, then. So Without further ado, here we go. Four, three, two, one, fire. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count, don't you? All right, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, uh, we have uh, Bobby, Bobby's, never, I, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> top five teen movies of all time. We'll start with the honorable mention. Uh, the honorable mention is Donnie Darko. Look at you. Strong out of the gate. Awesome. I mean, this well, I know this, this sort of thing happened to me all the time growing up. <laughs> uh, it, it's just the depressed, brooding. This is every teenager at some point, except minus awesome adventure craziness. Right. It's totally that it captures the the horrificness of being a new kid at school and being messed with by people. Exactly. I would say that it tells uh, via a fantastical story line and plot and developments. It, Hunter Thompson had this thing where he said, "Art is a lie that tells the truth," meaning that. You know, through fiction and things that couldn't happen, you uh, then give an explanation or a voice to things that could happen and do happen. And that's kind of what Donnie Darko is, uh, because it's technically a sci-fi movie, but it really is just about his kind of state of mind. Yeah. So, well, I will mention, because it's newer as well, um, so we'll see if it would stay on the list is sort of up in the air, but... Are we talking sir. theatrical version or director's cut? I really like the theatrical version, but the director's cut is probably better. Here's a question, as we're getting closer to Halloween. Has anybody actually seen anybody dressed up as What's-His-Guts, Frank, Frank. The, the Bunny? I've seen one Frank before. Really? Was it good? It was, was it good. well done? It was Did well it creep done. you out? Yeah, it was a little weird, but I knew who was wearing it, so it was a little different. If I had that suit, I would just walk. I wouldn't even do it in Halloween. No, in like, but in like June. I would just late at night, I would just walk up and down the street shuffling, you know. I'm just saying. Like if I had a lot of money in time. Uh, all right, your top five teen movies of all time. Number five. Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah. yeah. Look at you. Yay, you picked the right song. Is this the clean version of this song? Um, Bobby got it, so I'm not sure. That's, I know when it is. Like, all right. Don't end a good song early because you don't think I'll get it. I'll get it. My hand is off the mouse. So, number five, it's newer. Um, I do have some more newer movies on my list. Um, but it's that classic, you know, The Last Night. Right. The Party. And it's got that cute little story about, you know, getting the girl. But, again, uh, the Seth Green story is definitely the story of the movie. Absolutely. And it does, I am a big fan of, of movies, teen or otherwise, that have great plot devices. And the last night of whatever is just a timeless device that always works. Yes. I think the tagline actually is, uh, yesterday's history, tomorrow's the future, tonight's the party. Right. <laughs> Look at you. Well done. 
Yeah. Yeah, I love anything that is that is either on the first day of something, the last day of something. You've seen that a million times. Like tomorrow, my you know my friend joins the military tomorrow, so tonight we live forever. And so that's a great. It, it captures like the total crazy drunkenness of going to silly high school parties where no one can control themselves and people are just wasted and making the biggest city. And where you look around someone and go, how did I get it? What is going on? How did I come to be in this place? Well, and it also can't, eh, captures that feeling that teenagers have, like, everything is the end of the world. Right, He's right. on a payphone talking to Barry Manilow because this girl is going away, <laughs> and he's never going to get to tell her, and it's, like, the end of the world. And Barry right. like, why are you talking to me? You know, because when you are a teenager, everything is a momentous occasion. All right, top five teen films. Number four. Number four is Heathers. Yeah, see? And we can, Heathers is a film everyone can agree on. It's timeless. And I would... I would I would wager, I don't really know for sure, I would wager that even now, teenagers, you know, misfits who are 13, 14, 15, now in 2008 are still watching this movie. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't want to blow up the school? Yeah. Well, I, mean, I certainly did. <laughs> Plus, it's got to be one of the pinnacle performances of Christian Slater's career. Absolutely. And, you know, there are no bad performances in this film. They're all really good. And this one of the, is one of the only teen films... Maybe not one of the only, but there's not a lot of teen films that depict adults with any kind of texturing or layering, because usually they are just sort of cardboard cutouts. That's the pump up the volume syndrome. Yes. Uh, but in Heather's, they sort of short circuit that whole problem by just doing this weird kind of surrealist depiction of the adults, which, you know, avoids having to, to write them as stereotypes. Plus, who, how can you not love a movie where someone screams, my Eskimo? <laughs> Excellent. Top five teen films. Number three. Ten things I hate about you. Okay. It's a it's a Shakespeare adaptation. I had to have one on my list right. because honestly, it seems like Shakespeare really just wrote about teenagers. My favorite scene in that is when Heath Ledger's singing to her uh, "Can't Take My Eyes Off of yeah. You." That is still one of the most romantic scenes in a movie I've ever seen. Definitely. Um, it's just. This movie is actually incredibly sweet at the end, too. You get that real happy ending, but that total teenage, like, I hate everyone. But they earn it. The thing about the sweetness there, it is sort of like those occasional sweet moments on Arrested Development where they don't ever seem cloying or forced. They really do earn any of those moments of sort of like the I learned something today, whatever moments. They, you know, they they work for it. Yeah. Excellent. This is a good list so far. I feel good about it. Top five teen movies. Number two. The Breakfast Club. Yeah. The Breakfast Club almost, in my opinion, almost has to be judged as a separate... It is almost so definitive in some ways. It's like you got to hang the jersey in the rafters. Like, you almost can't... you got to retire it. Because it it just seems like a lightning-in-the-bottle movie. It's so much its own its own breed of film. Yes, definitely. Um, definitely one of those movies that just stands out on its own. But, oh, God, everyone loves it. Everyone does? Have to. And everyone identifies with one of those characters. Absolutely. Actually, I'm going as Allison for Halloween. Really? Yes. Excellent. Good for you. Here's the only Ali Sheedy impersonation I could do. That's it. <laughs> and then, like, the parka thing hits the desk. Yeah, that's it. That's also the impression of my dog, Philo, by the way. And Beaker from The Muppet Show. He does, for no, for no reason in particular, because he, like, he's just terrified of everything. And... So I was trying to do something the other day. Like I was trying to, I was getting him like a dog treat or something, and he's kind of sitting on whatever the floor by the sofa, and I have like a little milk bone or whatever the hell it is, and I go, 
Philo, and I'm doing that idiot, you know, who, who, come on, who's a good dog? <laughs> so, who, who wants a treat? Do you want a treat? He looks at me and he just goes, <laughs> and then he just looks away. Uh, kind of sad. <laughs> sorry for turning us into a dog discussion. All right, here we go. Number one, top five teen films of all time. Number one. Say Anything. Hey, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. A movie that rings absolutely true and honest on every level. Plus, this movie ruined an entire generation of women. <sighs> absolutely. We all, we all want Lloyd Dobler. Yes. The man with the heart of gold who can actually kickbox and is just bad ass. Lloyd Dobler is... Dobler is kind of, he's sort of the perfect guy. Yeah. I mean, John Cusack has done that several times. A guy that is either perfect or very, very close to perfect is a guy that, you know, that you would that you would want to have as a friend. Guys That's would want to have him as a friend and girls would want to date him. Well, he's like the same character almost in like uh, Better Off Dead. Yeah. Exactly. The key master scene in this is awesome where he, he's just carrying around drunk people's keys and right. saying, no, you can't drive. And they spend three hours giving a drunk guy a ride home because he can't figure out where he lives. Right. So... Wow. This is, uh, you know, and I left to my own devices. I will just gush endlessly about Cameron Crowe. But I mean, really, Cameron Crowe is one of a kind. He really is. I mean, you want to talk about a guy, uh, especially the the really benchmark Cameron Crowe films. This singles, almost famous. Almost famous, almost made my list. It's. Uh, it was. I got to tell you, it's it probably, and this is a bold statement, I don't even know that I want to say this, but I'll say it anyway. I would say in terms of Cameron Crowe's films, when he really hits it, when he is on all cylinders, I think Cameron Crowe has more, and it's a generic term, but more heart in his films than probably anybody else I can think of. Definitely. I mean, it's all on the sleeve. Oh, and Almost Famous, you just you just want to reach out and grab Penny and just hold her. Roger Ebert said this thing about Almost Famous. He said, he said during Almost Famous, he said, you find you just want to hug yourself and the movie. So Excellent. Well done. Good list. Thank you. All right. Fantastic. Let's take a break. Back after this, Tim Riley, uh, more of your phone calls, and it's the worst song you've ever heard. Stay there. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503 733 2970. I don't know why you're denying yourself such joy. You don't know how amazing it is. I don't really know that I need to see a video of. Let me get this straight. It is a Mexican midget man dressed as a woman pretending to be Sarah Palin dancing to Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. Yes. What isn't glorious about that? Here's the thing: is seeing that now could now it could not possibly live up. It could only be a disappointment, having given that description. It, it could only be an anticlimax, Sarah. So, uh, let's see, Rick. I heard you trying to find a terrible headline to judge which of the mutual uh, news sounders would be best. I have actual headlines you've done in the past. Woman humped to death by amorous camel. Ugh. Oh, and now my sounders. Now nah, my sounders not even working. That was me, or was that you? No, it was both of us. There we go. Man falls into hog skinning machine several times. Man loses foot and fingers to angry chimpanzees who also ate his face. Yeah, these are all really upbeat. They are. Okay. Here's, uh, oh wait, let me do this actually. We'll do the glorious bastard of the week into uh, Tim Riley's news. Let me just, uh, without further, there we go. Greetings and salutations, Charles Phillips from Portland. You are being addressed at this moment because you, yes, you, have been selected as the AM 970 Glorious Bastard of the Week with all the rights and privileges that entails. 
In addition to the envy of your fellow man, you'll receive a bountiful cornucopia of swag from the AM970 pile of crap, including The Shield, the entire sixth season on DVD. You've also won the wonderful knowledge that for at least this one week, you are just a little bit better than everyone else. Enjoy your newly elevated status, and don't hesitate to lord it over the less fortunate. Thanks for listening, Charles Phillips from Portland. You are the glorious bastard of the week. Sign up at 970.am. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Crews had the prior drive around of a flip car on the ID4 near Rooster Rock this afternoon. The car crashed into the back of a semi and flipped over the westbound lanes. He's been life flighted. He has serious injuries. The westbound lanes are still closed. You're going to go over the Bridge of the Gods and take uh, SR14 back in this direction if you want to get back from there. So if you're stuck there, you might be stuck there for an hour. Uh, Tap for a snuff watch. Here's your snuff watch for Thursday on the Rick Emerson Show. Lefty Rosenthal is dead. At the age of 79, the former Vegas casino boss who inspired the character Sam Ace Rosenstein in the movie Casino was 79. He died in his Miami Beach condo. He was a one-time Chicago hot dog stand owner, ran the Stardust, the Fremont, the Hacienda, and Marina Casinos in the 1970s. He also had a TV show on. That and TV show is great, by the way. He's trying to clean up. His, he's trying to clean up his reputation. He's sitting there like he really didn't want to be there. He was told to do that by somebody. Absolutely. Uh, you can read, by the way, the book uh, of this. I think the book is actually just called Casino, and it's by Nicholas Pileggi, who, of course, also wrote Wise Guy, which became Goodfellas. Uh, he spent, I think, a long time with Lefty Rosenthal. I want to be called Lefty. I mean, what a great name. I'm well, the only Lefty in here. They see, and they don't make nicknames like that anymore. No. Um, but uh, you know, like Knuckles, Knuckles McGinley, or whatever. But uh, so Nicholas Pileggi spent a lot of time with him and then wrote the book Casino, which became the movie of the same name. And we were talking about this at the beginning of the show. It's amazing that he was still alive to die of death, you know, old age or whatever right. it is he died of. Well, he survived an assassination attempt in 82 when his car was rigged with explosives. Remember that? Yep. It was pure luck he survived because his car was an 81 Cadillac Eldorado that had a metal plate under the driver's seat. GM installed it to correct a balancing problem. Yep. It, it was, was the only thing that saved his life. Only reason he wasn't blown into little smithereens. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you're right. He did that, that that weird and that TV show. Even if you watch the movie Casino, it, it, it's surreal. It really is. That he's like some weird kind of mobbed up kind of you know sort of shady character. But then he's doing this strange like Ed Sullivan thing, but like at the Tangiers or whatever they call that. I mean, it was really the Stardust. Mm -hmm. And you can tell by the way if you watch the movie Casino. I believe the first time he starts talking about it was a place called the Tangiers. They actually are playing the song Stardust in the background. Outstanding. And I believe the closing credit song is Stardust. And that's uh, Scorsese's way of kind of letting you know where it was, even though they had to call it the Tangiers. But, yeah, he's doing this weird, surreal thing where he's talking to, like, you know, he's talking to Edie Gourmet or somebody. And he's, so uh, tell me, Edie, um, what do you do? What Do you double down on 11? Or what, and, and, and just it's a completely an ill fit. Doesn't work at all. So now they say it was a heart attack. Well, 79? Yep, 79. You know, you know what, 79, outliving your enemies, having a movie made about your life, and then you go out, you know, while living in Florida. There, there are worse places to end your life. So, um, so hopefully, so, did they ever make DVDs of those shows, the Frank Rosenthal show? I don't know. I was going to ask I, if they were. clips of it. Are they on YouTube, do you suppose? I looked. I didn't find anything. I mean, well, now Somebody they had them removed. Well, now. <laughs> 
Somebody didn't have to be asked twice. Johnny the Chin. Uh-huh. Look, YouTube, you're going to take those down right now, see? But now that he's dead, probably somebody will rush those in mm-hmm. to capitalize. You know, you know where they might, you might actually be able to see some of those on the casino deluxe edition of the DVD, like the Criterion Collection or whatever. Right. You see that, if you see the deluxe DVD for Casino, it might have some of that stuff. But you're right, I mean, probably even now. It's almost as if somebody made them disappear. I, I looked. You mean the videos? Uh, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, but 79, but you know, he's like that Henry Hill guy. That douche that they made Goodfellas about, who is always, who, and I believe there's still a price on his head because he's, you know, because he's a snitch and a rat and whatever. And guy goes into witness pigeon, and he goes into witness protection, and then is constantly just showing. Like he used to just show up on the Stern show all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, a guy that there was a hit out on for like ten million dollars, and he would just be, he would just show up in the Stern studio in New York. Hey, here I am in the Howard Stern studio. And then I think he would like at one point he was on, the hell he was he showed up at some TV show or something, and then he was always getting busted. Uh, you know, for cocaine dealing, even after he went into witness protection, it's amazing nobody's capped that guy yet. Uh, maybe that is indication right there that the mob is not quite what it used to be, that those guys are still just walking around breathing. Maybe it's a ruse. Possible. All right, there you go. There's your snuff watch for uh, Thursday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Oh, by the way, before we go any further, I'd like to uh, I'd like to play back the best soundbite of the day, ladies and gentlemen. Oregonian TV critic and uh, the pillar of the community, Peter Carlin. I was doing that thing where you stick your fingers in the hole and kind of diddle around the little, the thing that hangs inside. There you go. Here's Tim Riley. Imagine that. Well, the U.S. Department of State is issuing a travel alert for residents heading to Mexico for vacation. There are criminals all along the border. Hear that, Lou Dobbs? And they're heavily armed with a wide array of sophisticated weapons. Some are wearing police uniforms and military uniforms. They're not your friends. They will kill you. Uh, Tourists are advised to avoid isolated locations, like most of Mexico, during late night and early morning hours. U.S. citizens who become victims of crimes south of the border are urged to call the nearest U.S. consulate for advice and assistance. (laughs) What do you think that advice and assistance might be? Leave Mexico now. Never return. I mean, really, what what is it you're supposed to do? I don't know. I kind of wonder that sometimes when I think about traveling to other countries. Mm-hmm. You, you you always hear that. You, know, you always see that in the movies where it's like some guy gets mugged or you know whatever. There's somebody like kidnaps his uh, his loved ones and then he's you know trying to find the U.S. embassy in like Zagreb mm-hmm. and uh, for, like to what end? What what are you suppose they're gonna do? Because they get the feeling the U.S. embassy in most of those countries is just like a tiny little. It's like a shack somewhere. Just like a little little shack with a tin roof, you know, and you just some guy inside at a card table with like a bare light bulb swinging overhead. Be careful you don't get hurt when you go through the chicken wire in the doorway. Exactly. So, oh, I never. I want to. Re- I want to go back to something that I I never really finished earlier, because we got sidetracked by talking about something to do with stores that are living hell for men. So I wanted to make this. I wanted to go back and 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 finish this though. So Laura and I were at the Lloyd Center Mall last week. I think I was buying. I was buying pants or something. But, I was the, so we're, but we take a shortcut, and we were going through the, like the, the, the makeup section or the, the cosmetic section or whatever it is at one of, the, uh, one of the major department stores, we'll call it. And so we're walking by one of the counters, and Lara says, wait, hold on, give me, we got to go over and talk to this woman who's pitching like, things like a foundation cream or something. So we got to go talk to her. And I said, I said, why? Are we, do we need to buy makeup? And she goes, no, 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 it's fine. Just look, watch this. And we walk up to the counter, and there's this woman. She looked a lot like that... Um, Someone's got a case of the Mondays. That woman from Office Space, 
She's sitting there behind the cosmetics counter, and you you know this look on, and it's usually people working in a retail job, just the sort of glum, kind of staring blankly into the middle distance. And you know they're probably wondering like how many volume it would take to sort of you know just end everything. And, and she's kind of got that look on her face. And Laura says, "Hey, um, tell me about this product." And like points a finger down at the counter, and the woman says she sighs just a little bit, and the woman goes, "It's pantyhose for your face." And then Laura said, thanks. And then we walked away. And I guess that's the tagline for some new product that I guess so is like what a to... piece of cloth that you. No, it's just makeup. But 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 it's supposed to, I guess, minimize your pore because I guess women, all... the, 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 the key is to be poreless. I guess that's the goal for women. I don't want anybody seeing my pores. But apparently that is the tagline. The slogan for this this type of foundation is it's pantyhose for your face. And so we walked off and I started thinking. Uh, and apparently it's a well-known tagline. I guess maybe they've done some ads or something for it. Think about how many times a day this poor woman has to sit there and probably doesn't sell much of it, just has to recite this tagline to a bunch of jackasses like myself who come and go, hey, tell me about this. <laughs> and she goes, pantyhose for your face. You know, and, and then I go, oh, thanks so much. And then I walk away. You know, and, and she at that point, she probably envies that woman at the Scientology kiosk who has to hand the paint cans to guys, you know, who are just, uh, are you feeling stressed out? Hold these paint cans or whatever. So, which, by the way, that in turn reminds me of this. So, the channel known as the CW, now, at one point, that was two channels, right? It was, the, it was UPN and the WB. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, when it was the WB, people really don't remember this, when it was the WB early on, when you called any WB affiliate, if you called up your local WB affiliate, do you know how they had to answer the phone? This is absolutely true. If you called just the, like the receptionist, the front desk at the WB in your city, the woman who answered the phone... It has to be some old Warner Brothers cartoon thing. Yeah, and I guess I'm saying it's a woman. But whoever answered the phone had, had to say, Hello, WWWB. They had to do the, the what is like the porky pig thing of stuttering. If you skip one, would you get a talking to? I don't know, but they but they they had to answer by saying, hello, WWWB. And Don and Mike did this thing back, I think, when you were still allowed to do these things by the FCC. Don and Mike, they found their local WB affiliate, and they called her like 50 times over the course of about two hours just to see if she would answer the phone. that, And she had to because she didn't know who it was or no caller ID. And they called her about every five minutes for two hours. Oh, poor girl. Just making that poor woman go, hello, WWB. And they go, Donna Mike, bye. And they'd hang up, and they just did it over. And it was like a thing where it's funny uh-huh. and then awful. And then you were pissed at them because you thought they were a-holes. And then it became hilarious, and you rooted them for it. And I think she actually at one point just said, please, I need this job. Don't scram. And they went, well, okay. Oh, so, so Let's take one final call before Tim Riley vaporizes into a cloud of hate. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, Rick. What's up? Yeah. You're going to owe me an apology for four years. Now, i got to admit, Obama's a better, the better man right now. Yes. But in four years, the word flash in the pan comes to mind. Extremely Are you eating something? You know, I'm on my afternoon break. Sorry, dude. All right, I'm just checking. Okay, go ahead. I know. I'm on a granola bar. I am a Portlander, by the way. All right. No. No, shut up. Not you. Um, so, oh Would you like me to come back to you when you have more free time? No, okay. I'm good. What are we? What, good. Yes, go ahead, sir. So I'm I'm thinking, you know, in four years, uh-huh. and, I'll, and I'm a faithful listener. Yes. So in four years, guarantee you, everyone's going to be going, oh, God, oh, God, we're going to go through this whole Democratic crap again. It's going to be the same as last time when Clinton was in office. I'm, I'm old enough to know. I, please, now, I'm not being deliberately obtuse here. I don't really understand your point. 
Because in four years we will have another election, as we always do. I would. I, I'm. I'm missing maybe your larger. Your well, larger the thing is, I mean, conveyance. You're a here. huge fan of Obama. It well, is, it is apparent. Well, no, that's not true. Come on. <laughs> is that your response? Come on. No, come on. Every day I listen. Well, in terms I mean, of you, you I, knock McCain and his and and his uh, dime store cowgirl. Sideways, well, let's be, well, let's be clear about something. First of all, uh, yes. because I am not a I am not a Democrat anymore that I am a Republican. We'll be clear clear about that. I'm a big bleeding heart. No getting around that. Um, sure. That being, I have said, and in fact, I think I've said several times today. In fact, I know I said several times today. They are both, at, at, when all is said and done, just hucksters and liars and politicians. Both of them. Both of them. Absolutely. Now, in terms of uh, just the delivery, the presentation, who seems less senile. Really, anybody has to say that that's Obama, but this is sure. this is a good opportunity to say something else, by the way, because I got an earlier. I was going to read this email. I got some email earlier on that I get every now and again, where some guy says, "If I want to hear Air, I am done listening to your program. If I want to hear Air America, I will listen to Air America. Quit bashing McCain. You would blah blah blah, whatever." And it's sort of a particular uh, pitfall in this type of talk radio where we do kind of just uh, deride everybody and everything that everybody thinks that's great and funny until you pick on something they like and then of course you're just then of course you're a goddamn liberal or do you remember after the Biden Palin debate I got just a ration of crap from people who thought I was a secret conservative because I said that Sarah Palin won so look last night McCain, flailing, kind of senile-looking old guy. No getting around it, sir. And anybody who says differently, lying. Yeah, you're right on that one. So, I, I mean, so he, there you he, go. He, he looked, he looked, he did pale in comparison. Look, to Obama. I, you know, not like Obama's gonna gonna cure leprosy or anything, but but McCain just seems uh, sort of gibbering and angry. Well, that lesser of the two evils, can we say it that way then? Sure. Uh, that being said, I'm I'm still not really sure where we're, what your point was here. Well, the point is that in four years, I mean, there, you've said some you've said some through the weeks and the months that I've been listening. All right. Well, okay. I guess, we, Sarah, tell me we got a break, so I'm not trying to be a jerk or cut you off, but apparently we have no, to. No problem. I guess it's a hard break here. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, I won't even wait four years. I, I'm saying it now. So, all right. It's 503-733-2970. Back after this to wrap it up. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Doing the last segment uh, without the mics on. They were just saying, I'm, what were we saying about John? What? what? I don't know. But we were saying that tomorrow's Friday already. I can't believe that this week has come by so fast. It really has. Uh, it has ripped by. Uh, so tomorrow, comedian Craig Gass joining us uh, in the studio, uh, as well as Lisa Desjardins. She'll actually be on the phone, but Lisa's going to count down her top five teenage moping songs tomorrow. Top five teenage moping songs uh, from Lisa Desjardins. Also, Aaron Geek in the City. Duran will be here. Uh, to talk uh, scary movies, and I think he's going to have a review, maybe, of, of W. Maybe. It opens tomorrow. I think he's seen it. I don't really know. Um, so, and there you go. All right, it's 503-733-2970, although probably, how long do we have here? Uh, about 20 seconds. 20 seconds. All right, well, I get that. I got nothing. I was gonna do this. I was gonna talk about the audio blog. I keep I keep forgetting to mention that. It's, uh, it's up at my blog, actually, a little post about it, and I know we sent out 
uh, a big sort of a, an announcement to the Glorious Bastards. So if you're a Glorious Bastard, you got an announcement about this. Go to audioblog.am, audioblog, one word, audioblog.am, and uh, you can upload your uh, original uh, comedy, musings, observations, reviews, original music, rants, whatever. You can upload those. And then they will begin uh, playing. They will play on the AM970 live stream to be shared with listeners the whole world over. So you can share your comedy or whatever you want with uh, everybody listening to the AM970 live stream. Find out more at audioblog.am. Uh, we want to thank CNN Radio correspondents Lisa Desjardins and Steve Kastenbaum, as well as uh, Bobby's girl Bobby and Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. Join us tomorrow when I guess we'll include Aaron Geek in the City Duran and Craig Gass. Uh, Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Dillon for AM970, the talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley on the phones, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, director of uh, marketing is uh, Susan Radonef with me, Reynolds. I've, for- I've forgotten something here. I've forgotten somebody? Have I forgotten somebody? Okay. No, I haven't. Damn! Like us next. See you all tomorrow and goodbye now. I was doing that thing where you stick your fingers in the hole and kind of diddle around the, little, the thing that hangs inside.